sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight. Well, it's 2 a.m. now here in New York City. We'll be talking all things New York sports with you till 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night. I always say this. If you're still out and about, it's a little chilly tonight. Maybe you want to stay in. Maybe you're in a ride chair home. Or maybe you are working on a weekend like usual. Hey, me and Pat are too. He's behind the glass, ready, willing, and able to take your phone calls here tonight. You know that number, 877-337-6666. You don't need me to tell you that. Let's load them up with your best content only, please. I love you guys tweeting me, telling me that you're doing your homework. I love it. Coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in Lower Manhattan. And we're going to be together a lot. Till six, like I said. So I've got um, a really stacked show for you guys tonight. I mean, there's me, there's Pat, but there's also... Uh, maybe you were able to guess it from my hints on Twitter. Or There were three emoji clues that I dropped. Number one, I put two trophies. Clue two was a football. Clue, clue three was a Croatian flag. And at 320, we're going to have two-time Super Bowl-winning New York Giant David Deal joining us. And also very important... You saw the Twitter from the WFAN account at 4.20 in the morning, not one but two guests at the same time that you guys know really well. Just for a segment, the guests are WFAN's midday co-host and WFAN's Sunday night or Sunday overnight host, Lori Rubinson. The three of us, I think in an epic segment, we're going to try to give our unique perspective on the historic news coming out of Miami on Friday the 13th, the Marlins hiring of Kim Ng as their GM. I was trying to think of a phrase that would best characterize the NFC East. And I realized that Katy Perry probably captures it better than I could. So just a quick examination of the NFC East. The Eagles have beaten the 49ers, the 49ers early in this season. The Cowboys, this might be a little shocking. The Cowboys literally almost took down the only remaining undefeated team in the entire league this past Sunday coming into the game at at 14.5-point underdogs. And yet Washington, who has rolled out three different quarterbacks this season so far, in Week 17 beat the Cowboys so badly that Dallas never even found the end zone. Add that to the fact that the Giants' only two wins came against Washington. Does anyone else's brain hurt? I've got one question. Does anyone want to win the NFC East? Because it's hot and cold, up and down, all those things that Katy Perry just told you. Well, how about the Giants? I'd say the Giants have as good a shot as any. Hear me out. They've won two of their last four. Two of them against Washington, of course. But when you look at what they've done over the past couple weeks... Week five, they lost to Dallas on a final play field goal. Six, beat Washington. Week seven, they lost to Philadelphia after blowing an 11-point lead with five minutes to go, even probably less, actually. They lost week eight to the Super Bowl-contending Tampa Bay Bucks by two points. Week nine, they beat Washington. And week 10, we don't know. It's possible. I'm saying it's possible. And it starts later today against the Philadelphia Eagles, who I might add, the Giants had defeated. They had them done for up until Evan Ingram refused to lay out to catch that pass with two minutes left in the game. It's payback time at MetLife Stadium. Golden Tate and the Giants, they've made up, and it's all hands on deck for the Giants as they look to gain ground 
in a still unbelievably very wide open NFC East. The Giants are an improved team, although the record doesn't reflect it. Anyone that watches the games knows. The Giants have seemed to have found their identity over the past two weeks in terms of offensive line play, their rushing attack, which was a season high against the Washington football team last week. And quarterback Daniel Jones did not commit a turnover this, uh, for, the, I think it was the second game this season. Guard Kevin Zeitler says, obviously it's a big game. We know where we're at, and we know where the division's at. Every win in the division is a big thing. So to Week 10, the football giants go. Early in the week, the New York Mets hosted an introductory press conference for new owner Steve Cohen and team president Sandy Alderson, which everybody knows. I'll let Queens native and Met fan Nicki Minaj speak for all Mets fans and players after watching that press conference. I wish that I could have this moment for life. For life. For life. So, after watching that press conference, Mets fans and players are alike. We're hoping to relish in that moment for life. My humble opinion, of course, is that it was the first Grand Slam in the new era of baseball in Queens. Steve Cohen came off as a likable, an affable, a calm, and an in-charge regular guy. I don't know if I know one person that didn't like what he had to say, including me. I think we as New Yorkers and as New Jerseyans and people from Connecticut, I'm not sure what exactly they're called, but I think we have a great inherent BS meter. Mine was not triggered one single time watching this press conference. And by the way, the press conference was on loop on SNY on that historic day in Mets history. It was definitely on twice in a row. And I actually, I want to say it was three times. My most memorable Cohen-isms from the introductory press conference. Number one, he said, I'm not in this to be mediocre. Well, this might as well be my life motto as well, my personal life motto. Number two, he said, I'm doing it for them. These are smart fans. They know what they're talking about. And if they're emotional, it means they care. True. Number three is another good one. New York fans have high expectations, and I want to exceed them. Number four, you build champions, you don't buy them, says Steve Cohen. And the big one, the big number five. He said, if I don't win a World Series in the next three to five years, I would consider that slightly disappointing. Well, Mets fans, start saving up your hard-earned cash. He's giving you a three to five years to put away money to buy your ticket. So as long as MLB does not opt to play the World Series in a neutral site like the Super Bowl, have you heard that buzz? Yikes. So what's next in this new era of Mets baseball? For one, Cohen's got his players publicly amped up on social media. Noah Syndergaard's tweeting a gif. I call it a gif. Don't make fun of me. It's not gif. It's gif of a man running through a brick wall in a backyard. Marcus Stroman is citing Cohen as the reason why he accepted the Mets qualifying offer. And Dom Smith, the only New York Met to receive 2020 MVP votes, he finished 13th, he said, having an owner coming in like that and saying some pretty demanding things and have high hopes for the organization the way he does is definitely a great sign. You just want to pretty much work and give him everything he wants. That's an end quote. So we all know what Nicki Minaj, Noah Syndergaard, Marcus Stroman, and Dom Smith thought of it. So what did you, my WFAN audience, think of that press conference? I think the Marcus Stroman narrative is really all you need to see or hear. Steve Cohen will attract a big fish to Queens. However, there is even good news for Mets fans from a billionaire businessman. He said, 
Are we going to act like drunken sailors in the marketplace? No. Take that as a warning, free agents. And their agents, too. I want to get away. Gary Sanchez might be the first baby bomber to leave the nest and fly away out of the Bronx. The internet was lit up with reports this week that the Yankees are open to shopping the catcher with inconsistent performance behind the dish and at the plate. Certainly suitors would be focused on extracting his potential, looking back to the 2016 and 17 seasons, and hoping he can replicate them. Don't forget, you guys, that El Gary was the second-place finisher in the AL Rookie of the Year vote. Seems so long ago, doesn't it? Potential suitors would have to look beyond his most recent atrocious stints with the Yankees. The most recent one, of course, being one that he watched five of seven postseason games from the bench. It's easy to hate on Gary Sanchez and his 147 batting average this season and his 64 strikeouts this season. I think I can hit better than 147. I'm being really honest with you. But it wouldn't kill you, Yankees fans. Would it kill you, Yankees fans, if another team unleashes the Kraken? At this point, I think not. So what can the Yankees get in return for him and from whom? Well, with his stock so low, crazy as this sounds, well, unless an offer knocks the socks off Brian Cashman or... The Yankees could work out a deal for James McCann. Come on, we all know they're not shopping in the JT Realmuto aisle. Unless those one of those two things happens, I really don't recommend moving him until the midseason trade deadline. Hopefully, Gary Sanchez will come out next season fired up about these trade rumors, fired up enough to straighten out his flaws in order to show other teams his worth. This would be a win for the organization in terms of return. And that would be a win for the player, too, in terms of putting himself in the best position to succeed in his new destination. And one more thing. What's taking so long on the DJ LeMayhew deal? Asking for a friend here. But seriously, what's taking so long? This is a song from 2009, the treadmill song, as Pat said before. Okay, go. Here it goes again, and here they go again with the most cap space in the league and all of the rest of the teams wanting to take them to the dance solely in order to dump huge contracts on them. And after Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, that free agency swing and miss before last season, the Knicks are yet again big game, big name hunting. Or are they? Well, the problem is that well, there seems to be conflicting information out there about what the Knicks are actually planning to do. Are they all in on Russell Westbrook? What about the fact that Leon Rose used to be Chris Paul's agent? From Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News, this came out not long ago, he said, from what we've gathered from two sources who've been in contact with the Knicks about roster decisions, Tom Thibodeau is pushing win-now moves. Yeah, your eyebrows went up. Mine did, too. They continue to say, that's predictable. Mm. That's how this coach is wired. Thibodeau is a former team president who acknowledged having a say in New New York's roster construction. They also said that um, we'll see shortly how this shakes out. 
The Knicks need talent, and there's enough of it out there to construct a playoff team this summer, which, after seven straight lottery seasons, should be a priority. Now, that's from Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News about, I don't know, 10 hours ago. I guess my first question is, Knicks fans, do you agree with this philosophy or not? Because that would philosophically explain your preference on which Knicks player they should target or should not target this offseason. My guess is Knicks fans' thought processes are quite split between just go for it, I'm tired of losing, versus we've missed the playoffs over the last seven seasons enough already. Both are valid, truly. My thought process, you ask, or maybe you're thinking, I think the last thing you want to be if you're the Knicks is on the playoff bubble or even the last seed or second-to-last seed to make it in. I actually think that does more damage long-term in the development and in the composition of your team, again, long-term. With that said, this roster cannot stay as is, nor should anyone expect it to, regardless of your philosophy. So tonight, I know that I will operate under the premise that they are searching for one or a point A, a true point guard, which could also be addressed with a rookie in the draft, by the way, B, someone who can score and shoot the ball, and C, Someone who is not a rental player, since they really aren't that close to actually competing and winning the finals. Make the playoffs is one thing. Winning the finals is another thing. And that's the goal, right? To win the finals. So for now, what we're all left to do is surmise and debate, not only about which players should stay or go, but what the entire philosophy of the franchise really actually is or should be. Who are you picking for your team, Knicks fans? Is it Russell Westbrook? Is it Chris Paul? What about Victor Oladipo or Fred Van Vliet? Are you letting it ride instead for 2021 and maximizing your two first-round draft picks this upcoming week? In that sense, you're not breaking open your piggy bank just yet because a quick glance at this year's 2021 free agent class, or next year's, I should say, ooh-wee, Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, player option. LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, player option. Paul George, player option. Rudy Gobert, Victor Oladipo, as a free agent, not as a trade prospect. I mean, let's not get too excited here. There's no guarantee that these top-shelf players would not prioritize a return to their current team. But, again, later, a couple hours ago even, Saturday night, Giannis Antetokounmpo told a Swedish website about his Milwaukee Bucks. This was a quote from Giannis. He said, I mean, it was translated, but he said, it depends on what decisions they make. If they make the right decision, I'll be there for many years. I bolded this. If they do not, we'll see. The NBA is a business, and we take it day by day. Hopefully we can succeed together. So you're saying there's a chance. Because if they do not make the right decisions, according to Giannis, he might not be there in Milwaukee next season. So, Knicks fans, here it goes again. Oh, and the Jets are on a bye week, by the way. At least they can't lose. And uh, we have an announcement of the weekend is going to be performing at the Super Bowl halftime show this season. Uh, I mean, this, this, uh, yeah, at the end of the season in Tampa. I think it's a good pick. I mean, if you everybody knows the weekend songs, even if we don't know him by name or by sight, I think it's a good pick. I think it's a safe pick. 
Um, and I think he's going to do great. So lots to do tonight, lots to get to, obviously. Uh, and we're going to hit the calls after this. All Everything, all of it is on the table. Can't wait to talk to you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight on The Fan in New York City. Working on a weekend like usual. Way off in the deep end like usual. Swear they passed us. They doing too much. Haven't done my taxes. I'm too turned That's up. That's right. We are too turned up here. Yeah, 222. Almost exactly 22 seconds here in New York. New York City, WFAN, the best that there is in the entire nation. Get aboard, 877-337-6666. There's a lot to discuss tonight. Uh, we've got a Giants call on hold, a Mets call on hold, two Mets calls on hold. Listen, I know Mets fans, you guys are fired up about your new owner and his press conference. You got Noah Syndergaard ready to run through walls and also pitching without a shirt on in Florida. I, I think he was in Florida. Um Maybe Steve Cohen can buy him a T-shirt for the next video that he posts. I, w- I would appreciate that. And Joe Judge is another guy uh, that y- you might want to run through a wall for as well. The Giants are improving. The Giants have a huge game uh, coming up later today. It's a divisional game versus the, the Philadelphia Eagles, who they had de- beaten. They had them done. They had the birds cooked. And Evan Ingram did not lay out for that ball. I wasn't upset that he that he didn't catch it. I was upset that he didn't lay out for it. There's a difference. I was upset about the effort, or the lack of effort, I should say, on that ball. So uh, I think it's going to be a close one. I'll give you my pick a little bit later on when we do a little bit of analysis of the game um, and, and what went right for uh, the Washington game. And I, I found – I uncovered something before that almost knocked me out of my chair, and I can't wait to share that with you guys regarding Daniel Jones. So – uh, Kevin and Camden, you are batting leadoff tonight. As always, Kevin, what's up? Uh, I want to talk about the Giants. Okay. You know, um, as a native New Yorker, Staten Island native, I am. I I hope we win. I'm. I'm I know people saying that they they think they're going to win. I'm going to be a wait and see kind of guy because I don't know. I don't know what to expect. It's a week by week thing. Um, personally, I think Carson Wentz is overrated. That's just me. I, I've seen him enough watching these games here. I don't think he's that good. I mean, he was good his first year. He got hurt. Never been the same since. Overpaid his contract. I think it's funny, but that's enough about wins. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, I think Evan Ingram is terrible. I think he should go, but I'm just optimistic. Kevin, were you happy after that touchdown catch last week? Oh, I was thrilled. I was oh, thrilled. Okay. At least he did something. At least he okay. did something. Um, <laughs> I, will, I will say that I, if the Giants win, we got a shot. I will say that. For sure. I'm not going uh, to say we're going to make it, but I think we got a shot, a legit shot. And I do, and Tim, my brother, I, I, I respect you, you know that, but I disagree with you. I think Edelman's got to go, bro. I, I just, I can tell you why, but that'd be another 30 minutes. I don't got that much time. <laughs> but I, I definitely think that Edelman's got to go. Um, there's a lot of the decisions he's made over the years. It just ultimately leads to you know why he's got to go. Well, but, there's you know. been some bad, some some. What is it? The the good, the bad, and the ugly of Dave Gatton. Yeah, yes, no, and I, I can get into that later. But I just, you know, I disagree with my brother Tim there. But you know, I'll still be willing to hear his call later. So. All right, we'll Tim. Tim, that, that that's a that's a call for you to get aboard here, Tim and, and Kevin. Thanks for the call. As always. you're welcome, Coach. All right, bye. So uh, listen, guys, Evan Ingram. Okay, you know I was on here saying that they should have traded him. I still think they should have traded him, but. 
maybe he's been extra motivated, right? I was I was sharply critical of Evan Ingram here. I mean, again, not really how he dropped that ball with two minutes and 11 seconds to go in a game where the Giants were up 21 to 16. But more critical about his inability to lay out for it with the game on the line. The effort is what I was critical of. Although the drop was pretty bad, too. But as I just we just mentioned, Evan Ingram must have been listening to my show. <laughs> not really, but maybe, maybe not. But he actually absolutely laid out for that touchdown reception in Week 9. What a catch. But, but again, what an effort. So I looked really quickly. I looked up the catch percentage on NFL Next Gen Stats just to see what the percentage of, of that ball was. I mean, it was a tough ball, but... It only showed the top couple, which up, went up to about like 30% catch percentage. So there was a greater than 30% chance he caught that ball, but still. And after that catch, I got a question for you guys. The camera really settled on Evan Ingram sitting on the sidelines with a look on his face that I couldn't quite read. Uh, so I asked you guys on Twitter, was it relief or a sense of belonging or was it a look of redemption or centering? And of course, you guys had some jokes, of course. Uh, at EJW Jersey wrote, Eric, he wrote um, that he pulled a core muscle and he, he was saying that Evan Ingram was thinking, I can't let him know how much pain I'm in. Funny. And then at Gang Green 780, so you know he's a Jet fan, Dave, he says, quote, I, th- I still think he's praying that he doesn't get cut. Ha, huh, everybody's got jokes. Okay, let's go to the next caller in order. Vernon in Manhattan, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? I'm good, Vernon. What do you got for us this week? Well, the thing was, I was going to uh, talk about the Mets. I want to switch up to talk about baseball, uh-huh. but I want to bring a project for you to work on, if possible. Okay. Do you remember the movie um, A League of Their Own? Yes. I saw it okay. a very long time ago, but yes. <laughs> okay. Um, I've asked different sports, only for the women, to take up this topic, to speak to the real women who played this game back then to get information from them about what they had to go through as a woman to play baseball. If I know you played baseball, I think you I played shortstop. Yep. I, okay. p- I pitched too. Okay. <laughs> well, each one of the sports people I've spoken to, only the women, and I asked them to take up this project, they say yes, they would, but they never did. So, so wait, you're my, what's you're the project? My, to, to interview one of the League of Their Own originals? No, yeah, no, 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 not the stars in the movie. The real Yeah, people. the real ones. Yes, because in 2019, I'm a um, Brooklyn Cyclone and New York Mets full-season ticket holder. Mm-hmm. In 2019, they brought a woman on the field. She was walking with a cane, surrounded by other women, and they announced that she was one of the original players actually, that played back then. So I just want to get an understanding of what they had to go through. Could you imagine, Daniel, you playing shortstop, but they tell you you have to wear a dress? Yeah, I'm looking at pictures now of, of that team. I, I wear a dress, like like tennis, like, like the tennis players, they wear dresses. I would never do it. <laughs> well, they I wouldn't did, do it. <laughs> they, they, they did because this is what they were told to do. And when I was looking at some of the documentary on it, they said when they would slide, they would get all these cuts and nasty oh, bruises yeah. mm-hmm. under their legs. Mm-hmm. But the thing was, no one's really reaching out 
Because, you know, as years go by, they're slowly passing away. Well, they're in their 80s and 90s now, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're going to lose that rich history. I don't even know if they're in the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. I have no idea. You know, but I, yeah, as a baseball fan, I've actually never been to the Hall of Fame. I tried to go, but then COVID happened. But, um, yeah, so I, I don't know that either, actually. I don't know. Well, see, with you, you have computers. You can send out a tweet to someone. They can come online and talk with you. You don't have to do it live on your radio show, but mm-hmm. you can just say, listen, I want to tape this. I'm going to put on a radio show. All I want to know is their history, what they had to go through, what the dislikes they had to go through. Right. Why did they play this game? No one's talking about it. So, Daniel, I'm leaving you with this task. And also, you might end up writing a book and make a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, if you make a lot of money, I want you to say, oh, I'd like to dedicate this book to Vernon Gibson for bringing me in line with this. Now, Vernon, now, I, I don't know if you have, do you, if you have Netflix, my, I watched this in, in quarantine, actually. My friend told me, or suggested it. It's actually, it's about them, but it's more of like a love story. It's called, Netflix is called A Secret Love. And it does talk about, um, it's, it follows, I think, one or two of the original players from, from the okay. leagues. So you can find it on there. I mean, they interviewed them there. I mean, it was it's nope. a full length documentary. But yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and and it would be beneficial. Yes. Okay, so I just leave that thought with you. Yeah. I hope you take up this project. It takes time, but I think you will find out not just what the what Netflix say, but you might find some things right. that we never knew or you never knew. Right. Anyway, have a nice day, Vernon. <laughs> thanks you too. Enjoy football. Um, yeah, I mean, that would be definitely a, a summertime project because I, I have a, uh, have a day job. Um, so this is just, you know, on the weekends for now at least. Um, but yeah, that would definitely be a summertime thing. Um, but yeah, I, I did watch it. It was pretty good. I mean, it was more of like a love story, honestly, but I, I really liked seeing what it was like and hearing what it was like. And obviously it wasn't my brand or anything, but it, it was good. It was informative and, and true and truthful and good. So I think it was called on Netflix, a uh, secret love. I think it was called, uh, let's go to Todd in new Windsor, New York. Todd, what's up? Buongiorno coach. Buongiorno. Buona mattina. Yes. How are you, Daniel? I'm good. How are you, Todd? Well, thank you. Um, I did watch the press conference with Steve Cohen. Yes. I tell you, I was very, very impressed. I mean, this guy just really comes across. I mean, you know, in, in the professional sports, all these owners, most of these owners, they just merely just want to go for the pride and the prestige and, and the ego. Mm-hmm. But this guy is one of our own. I mean, a diehard Mets fan to boot. And it's just, you just get so excited. I'm, I'm hearing all these great these great uh, calls and all these comments. It's like, oh, my God. I mean, I'm just hoping, especially now, because with this COVID-19, a lot of these teams are not going to be offering those big, big right. contracts. Right. I mean, my wish list, I'd love to, I hopefully get Trevor Bauer to go along with Jake DeGrom. Mm. I would love to either get Francisco Lindor or George Springer and get that catcher. If you can't get Real Mudo, I would go after Mick, I'd go after McCann. He's my top choice, just, yep, other than yeah, would, Real Mudo, yep. He, I don't think, Real Mudo's an Oklahoma guy, I don't think he's made for New York. McCann would be better, be a little less money, but... But I'm I'm just so excited, you know, to have to have a brand new oil because after the last 18 years of wallowing in misery with the wool ponds, okay. this is going to be a nice breath of fresh air. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'll hang up and listen, Daniel. You have a great Sunday. Take care, go Giants. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. Grazie. And, and how we say that in Italian? But by the way, before I let you go, it's Forza, F-O-R-Z-A, Forza Giants. There you go. He hung up. He hung up. Oh yeah, Forza Giants is what it is. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, we could talk more about priorities. My priorities have changed a little bit now, knowing that, um, for the Mets anyway, that Marcus Stroman will be back. Um, Still, their rotation is probably going to be one of their strengths. Again, like like Mets fans are used to it being. Obviously, Jacob deGrom is your number one. Um, I put a question mark for number two just yet. Um, But three, you could definitely see... uh, uh, Marcus Stroman being your three. Now, Noah Syndergaard will be coming back. Timeline, not sure. It could be end of April, beginning of May, mid-May, maybe in time for my birthday, May 17th. I don't know. Um, he's your number two, right? But if you get Bauer, you're looking at a, a rotation of DeGrom, Bauer, probably Syndergaard, Stroman. I think that's – I mean, you really – okay. You really need to win with the top three. You need top three. So is that excessive? So I think what I would do now that Stroman is back, and we don't know what he's going to be after being out a year with, you know, opting out for COVID, but I would my, – my priorities have flipped. One is still catcher for the Mets. Um, if that's Real Muto, great. If it's not, for me, it's James McCann. That's the guy. For the Yankees, too. I mean, this is the same order for the Yankees. Real Muto, number one, but I know the Yankees aren't shopping in that aisle, as I mentioned. Number two would be James McCann. And then there's Molina, which I I would stay away from Molina, and I really don't think he would want to leave St. Louis. Anyway, so for the Mets, I'm thinking catcher, priority number one. Priority number two then now becomes relief pitcher. Three... Flip-flop, three would be starting pitcher. And center fielder, everybody's so high on George Springer and everything. Uh, you know, he's my he would be my fourth priority if I'm a Mets fan. And I like Brad Hand, as you guys know. So um, get aboard, 877-337-6666. Um, obviously, more of your calls after the break. Can't wait to talk with you guys. I'm Danielle McCartan here with you on The Fan. Down, down, down. Oh, yeah. Me and Pat are fist pumping. This is this is good. Wake up, everybody. It is 2.40 in the morning. Get aboard. 877-337-6666. Da, down, down. No, this is going to be a show tonight where everybody's going to have a lot of different opinions. I understand. Whether it's basketball, whether it's football, whether it's baseball. we got a lot going on here in New York sports. And you know what? It's damn good. It feels good, doesn't it, you guys? It feels good to have stuff going on here in New York again. We're talking sports here again on the number one sports radio station in the country, everybody. And um, I got a, a DM. I'm trying to keep up on Twitter. There's a, there's a lot of tweets coming in, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I'm trying my best, you guys. Um, but Joe Sullimano, who who always um, has good information, and I actually Googled it too on the commercial, people from Connecticut, by the way, they're called nutmeggers because Connecticut is called the nutmeg state. So you learn something new every day. I did not know that. There you go. Okay. Um, yeah, so is Russell Westbrook going to be a Nick? Um, did Steve Cohen really win you over in the press conference, or did you have some reservations about it? And the Giants are have a huge game. The Giants have a huge game. And we'll talk about, do you think Daniel Jones is progressing? Yes or no? Let's go in the order you guys called, as always, Robert in Brooklyn. Welcome to my show here on The Fan. What's up? Yeah, good morning, Danielle. What's up? I want to talk about uh, Russell Westbrook coming to the Knicks. Let's do it. A lot of people seem like they don't want him here. But one thing you could say about Westbrook is he brings it every night. Yes. 
okay? Yep. And he could show the Knicks how to win. Do you want to win? These, but philosophically, though, the Knicks do, don't do, know about. Right. Philosophically, do you want them to win? Yes. Is, I mean, because, we, I mean, here's the thing with the Knicks. If we're going to wait for draft picks and draft picks and draft picks and draft picks, we'll be waiting for years. Yeah. Okay? Okay. I think the Westbrook move, as long as they don't have to give up their first round picks this year or second, uh, they got the Clippers second round pick this year. Mm-hmm. They got the uh, Mavericks second round pick next year. If they can get, if they all they got to do is give them up and some and a few one or two players, I would say make the move. You'd be okay with Not that. Not only could go on. No, I was just saying you'd be okay with that. Take it on that huge. Like you would be like it would be like John Carlos Stanton and the Yankees. They would be locking up that money. And they it'd be they'd be paralyzed for you know virtually paralyzed with what they could do flexibility wise moving forward. But they're not going to get nobody else any 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 good superstar to come here. Maybe not. Okay? this year. The only way they the only way they're going to get somebody if somebody wants to dump salaries. And not only that, at least with Westbrook, things could see what it is how it is that you got to get yourself prepared to play in this NBA. You know what I'm saying? I do. I, I mean, I, I like the fact that Westbrook's plays hard every night. Yes. I, I, I do. I, I like that as well. I mean, he's as durable as they come. He played in, did, I don't know if I, I added some, some numbers up. He played in and started almost 86% of the games he's ever been in. I mean, his first five seasons, he played in every single game. So, I, yeah, yes. I mean, I like, I like Westbrook. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to have nothing to do with um, the other guy from Houston. Uh, um, James Harden? James Harden? Yeah, yeah. He's he's not he, he's he can score, but if you look at oh, his overall game when it's really clutch time, he disappears. Yeah, well, you won't have to worry about him. He, he's he's not going anywhere. He's he's staying there. You know. But what I also want to say too is that it, this this move would make it was it not only would strengthen the Knicks, it would give the fans in the city something to cheer about, and it just might. It just might get another guy that want to come here. Yeah, I hear you, Robert, and thank you. And this is going to be probably a theme woven throughout the night here. It's it's going to be, philosophically speaking, do you go out, as, as he wanted to, go out and get the guy, and he wants Russell, Gress, Russell Westbrook over Chris Paul, do you go out and get the guy, be that fringe playoff team, jeopardize your draft picks for the future, lock up your money in free agency just to win and to feel good. And, and I, I, I get it. I do get it. But if you, you've been losing for so long, for seven years in a row, you've missed the playoffs, what's one more year? Wouldn't you rather have, if you could, Giannis Antetokounmpo? If he, wants to, if he really wants to leave Milwaukee, wouldn't you rather have him? I would, I would want to have him over, over any of these guys combined. And and if you do not, if, I mean, let's just say, if you stay the course if you're in the Knicks and you don't deal out any of these or take on any of these contracts as a favor to these other teams and you're still giving up draft capital to do so, I'm not sure. I get it. I know it. I know you want to win. I, I know. I know. Believe me, I root for the Jets. I, I know. But there's, in my opinion, there's there's a, a, a way to do it. And the way to do it is to build it through the draft, go out and get the surefire guy that's going to want to make people play with him. Basketball, what do you need? Two main guys, right? Three? And then six hours ago, you know, 
maybe Harden stays, maybe he doesn't stay. But now talking about the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets and James Harden with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Oh my god. First time head coach Steve Nash. Good luck, Steve Nash. <laughs> uh okay, in the order that you guys called, Ron in the Bronx, you're on the fan. Hey, what's up? Um, you know what? I, I want to talk about the Mets new owner. You know, I'm not fired up for this guy. You know, to me, it's like what? no. I mean, Come on. why not? If any, if anybody, do, if any team fan base deserves their owners to spend like a drunken sailor, it is the Mets fan. <laughs> I mean, like, why not? I mean, I, I, I just sense, you know, I just think he's too old, and he's it's going to be more of the same. With no. the Wilfons, like his buddies, you know, it's like we deserve it. Mets no. deserve the owners to to get go out there and get free agents like that. No you know? way, no yeah. way. Yeah, I'm not fired up. We we need like a Mark Cuban, somebody young. We need youth. You know, he's just to me. I, I it's like Daddy Tightwad. That's what that's what he projected to me. And you know what? I'm gonna just you know sit back and just and see. But you know, I I think it's more of the same, honestly. I don't see anything changing. There's no Maybe way. Maybe you bone to bone and give us one free agent, but I don't know. Who, well, I'll let me, trust okay. I have my doubts. Ron, let me ask you. <laughs> yeah. Do you want them all? Do you want all the free agents? As a Mets fan since the mid-70s, yes, no. But seriously, we need a couple. You know, I, I, I just don't trust this guy, honestly. You know, I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong, but... You know, slightly disappointed if there's not a championship in three to five years. I mean, who else would it be slightly disappointed? <laughs> I mean, that's to me, it's like, okay, but I don't know. We need youth, man. We need a young owner. Somebody's going to go out there and spend like a drunken sailor. Oh, my and, God. You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But, hey, at least we tried. We've been <laughs> watching the Yankees do it for decades. Why not us? <laughs> like, why not the Mets fan? Uh, I, I get it, Rod. I, I get it. And thanks for the call. I, I get it. I do. It's just... I don't know. Maybe he doesn't see the value in in a JT Realmuto. Maybe he doesn't think he'd be he'd work here. I mean, the Yankees tried and failed with many people. Think of, I think about Sonny Gray, who never worked out here. I mean, I think of AJ Burnett, who really didn't really work out here. You know, there's just I know I get it. Try it and see what works, and throw it against the wall and see what fits and sticks. But oh come on, I mean, he put a, he put a timestamp on, on a championship three years. I mean, Mets fans, what was the last championship you had? Three years, you should be pumped about that. I think that was the biggest troll job of a phone call I've ever heard. Right. He couldn't have been serious. I don't know. He sounded serious, though. I think he missed, when he read the net worth of Steve Cohen, I think he might have, you know, like left off a couple of zeros. <laughs> I don't know. Pat, he was serious. I think. I don't know how. I don't know. He Well, you know what? He He's the first person that is not happy with the Steve Cohen press conference. I think he just wanted to be a contrarian. Well, which is okay. You're allowed to. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. When my English teacher, I took an SAT prep course um, in high school. And it was zero period. Big nerd. Big nerd. Okay. Was in school by 7 a.m., in class by 7 a.m. every day. And my teacher told us that in writing your essay for the SAT, try to offer the contrarian opinion. Because the readers are reading the same thing every time. If That if you try to make yours a little bit different, it might help you out. I got a 12 out of 12 on the essay. Just saying. How about that? Just saying. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there, I don't know how contrarian you can be about $14 billion. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't get it. And a, a willingness to spend that 
a chunk of that $14 billion. Brought Strowman back. What's next? I bet, you know what I think the next move might be? And I said it. You were here on Halloween. I said it. I played the, the Halloween the music, you know? DJ LeMayhew. I told my friend today, I said, I, I don't know. I'd be really wary about DJ LeMayhew to the Mets. She wanted to kill me. She was like, no way. I don't even want to hear it. I'm like, okay. But it's a possibility. Who knows? Yankees fans would immediately hate the Mets. Like there hasn't been, you, yeah, there's really right. hasn't been a reason to hate the Mets because they've never really done anything to you. Right. There would be cross town hatred. Of course. Immediately. Immediately. Which is good for us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to Tim in East Haven, Connecticut. Tim, um, are you a nutmegger? Is, is that what it is? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. We are nutmeggers. Um, I wanted to start off with this little jingle. I'm back. Back in the New York groove, Kevin from Camden. I'm back. Back in the New York groove, as you know. We play that at home every time the Giants score a touchdown. You're fired up about yes, this Giant really? game, right? Oh, yes, I am a nutmegger. Um, your previous call. Uh, watch the show Billions if you have any questions on Cohen. That's all I got to say. <laughs> you Go guys ahead. are – I'm happy for you as a Red Sox fan. I, I, if, my can't, if my team can't do it, I hope yours does. Yeah, Tim, you're the Red Sox. What, what's up with your Red Sox? No, oh. we're looking at Rich Hill. Thank you. Okay. Oh my God, Trevor Bauer's from there, and they're like, "What do you think of Rich Hill?" I'm like, "Oh my God." Oh. Anyways, getting back to my call. Yep. Dave Gettleman stays. Kevin from Camden, listen up. Okay. Okay. Joe Judge, his hiring, not his hiring. It was a team effort. I get it. He was a part of it, though. Yep. Joe Judge took the Patriot way and told Golden Tate to stick it. Yep. Toe the line. You are not bigger than the team. Okay. Pro Dave Gettleman, Daniel Jones does show flashes. Yep. We can put Daniel Jones in a con also because if he never figures it out, he's gone. I will agree with that. Right. But. In terms of Daniel Jones, we got to be more patient. Phil Sims was terrible his first two years. Look it up. Eli so Manning. Eli Manning. Yeah. So oh, yeah. Eli Manning. Yep. Look it up. We can compare the stats. Yep. They're pretty similar. Yep. Now, if we're going to go into the trades, I look at Odell Beckham as a positive. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah, see, I look at it as it's a negative. Back. Here we, we differ. I, I, I always feel that you never wow. give up on talent. And Odell, but look what, what their receiving course since he left. It's been decimated. I will look at that receiving core, and I'm glad you brought that up because Darius Slayton drafted has more touchdowns than Odell Beckham in the last two years. Well, that's a good little stat. Odell Beckham has like three touchdowns. Yeah, Darius Slayton is is, – if people point to Dave Gettleman and the bad things that he's done, I always point to Darius Slayton and say, look, he was a late-round guy, and look, he's the number one receiver on this team. Look. Look at what he's done. Exactly. Okay. Now, Now, okay. Let's go to free agency. Free agency. The entire defense this year. I'm not even going to bring up the Leonard Williams trade because yeah. Leonard Williams right now. Career year. Really He's having a career year. He is the best defensive lineman we have right now. Free agency. Martinez is a tackling machine. Martinez. Regan Mart- Ryan. Yep. yep. And let's not forget last year, Golden did have a 10-sack season. 
Blake Martinez has the second most tackles in the entire league behind Avery Williamson, by the way. Okay, and a con for him mm-hmm. in free agency, Patrick Omome. Yeah, well. Terrible. Yeah. Nate Solder, I am still out. Let's not forget he had a person, a little person, a child with cancer. Might have been a little distracted. We're not right. going to kill Nate Solder. Right. Not yet. But, oh, Golden Tate. Golden Tate. In the Ram game, when he's going down, instead of you know taking a hit or you know going to take and go, that was a terrible signing. Mm. Well, yeah, all uh, right, you know, Tim. As as with any GM, and thanks for the call, Tim. Always appreciate it and glad to have you back. Um, with any GM, there's the good, there's the bad, there's the ugly. Tim just said a bunch of the good. Yes, there's been the bad. Of course, there's been the bad. I think when he sent Marcus Golden to Arizona for a sixth-round pick, I didn't like that. I think Marcus Golden was worth more. I think for those reasons, Tim, Tim, we're on board here. Dave Gettleman was a part of the coaching search that found uh, Joe Judge. I mean, everybody loves Joe Judge. I haven't met one single person. I'm sure there might be a contrarian on the phone dialing up right now, but I haven't met one single person that doesn't like Joe Judge. Whether you're a Giants fan or not, James Bradbury was a free agent signing on March 16th. He's an elite cornerback in the NFL. Kyler Fackrell, March 18th, free agency signing. Blake Martinez, March 18th, free agency signing. Logan Ryan, I think it was September 4th, free agency signing. These are the top most consistent defenders on your team, you guys. And Dave Gettleman, in combination with Joe Judge, found them, signed them, and look what they're doing. These guys are playing up for Joe Judge. I think this is a sign of things to come. I'd be my my curious nature would like to see what Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman could do together in terms of drafting. Now, obviously, this is going to be the first draft that they have together if, in fact, Dave Gettleman does stay. I think he does. I mean, everybody wants to fire everybody around here all the time, right? But maybe he just needed that person to to help him, to be the sounding board for him. And if you look at these free agency signings, maybe Joe Judge is that guy. I don't know. I don't know. If it, eh, I don't know. I'd be curious to see what they would do in the draft. And obviously the Giants are going to be picking at the top of the draft, or or maybe not. Maybe the Giants go on a run here. Who knows? I would be curious, though, if Dave Gettleman does go, who Joe Judge would bring in. And I don't even want to speculate on that right now because I really think, I really think that Dave Gettleman is safe. He's got... Five first-round picks, or he's had five first-round picks since taking over in 2017. This is Dave Gettleman. Barkley. People can disagree about that Barkley thing all they want. I thought it was a good move. I still think it was a good move. Daniel Jones. The jury's still out on Daniel Jones. I I personally think he's going to be all right. Andrew Thomas has picked it up over the past two weeks. Has not allowed a sack. And then DeAndre Baker. I don't know if he can hold... DeAndre Baker over him, the crazy off-the-field stuff. Dexter Lawrence, doing well. Leonard Williams, doing well. I mean, 
I don't know. I think, um, I just, I don't know. I just think that the Giants are, are what's that word, gelling? They're, they're pulling it together. And I just think the Giants, I don't know. I think they make a run. I know as crazy as that sounds, I think the Giants make a run. And it's fine. It's fine. People are saying, well, tank, tank, tank. Tank for what? Tank for what if you're a Giant fan? Do you, you're not going to get a chance at Trevor Lawrence because the Jets have him all wrapped up. <laughs> Let's be honest. Second, um, okay, you want, you want another quarterback? You haven't even given this guy a chance. He's do, he's running his second offense. He's learning his second offense in as many years. This is the first year the guy's under center full time. He didn't have an off season program whatsoever because of COVID. He's got a brand new head coach. He's got a brand new offensive coordinator. He's got a combination of offensive linemen. Seven of them got into the game versus the Washington football team last week. Seven. It seems to be working, though. I mean, he and, and he doesn't have Saquon Barkley behind him. I know the running game has picked up because the offensive line play has picked up. I I just don't think you could you could really write off Daniel Jones at this point in time. I don't. And I found something before that I'm going to tease it now right before the commercial. I found something before that, and I was looking up. Daniel Jones and, and you know and and everything to do with him and and everybody says he misses on that deep ball. I don't know what I found almost knocked me off my chair here, you guys. Everybody says, oh, he misses receivers on the deep ball. It's bad, right? Oh, it's terrible. Kind of wrong, actually. And I'll explain why after the break. And we've obviously got wow, full bank of calls. All right, you guys, hang there. Um, I will get to you, obviously, always. I always do, and I always give you time to talk. It's um, 877-337-6666 if you guys would like to get aboard. And we'll talk more Jets, Giants, whatever. Whatever you want to do, I'm here for you until 6 a.m. I'm Danielle McCartan here on The Fan. Welcome back, everybody, at the top of the hour, 3 o'clock hour here in New York City and around the country, around the globe, really, technically, if you're streaming on the radio.com app. It's it's chilly. I, there was some frost on the car when I got out this morning. It's 32 degrees right now, according to my Apple Watch. Oh, man. Hey, hey it's football weather, right? It's week 10 in the NFL. The Jets are off this week, so they can't lose. That's a funny joke, right? When When is that joke going to stop being funny for Jets fans? The Giants have a really big one. The Giants have a really, really big one against the Philadelphia Eagles, which I think, spoiler alert, I think the Giants win. And, of course, we've got some firestorm basketball news that we we also have to get to. Do you want Russell? If you're a Knicks fan, do you want Russell Westbrook on the team? Do you want Chris Paul? Do you want Victor Aladipo? Or do you want Fred Van Vliet? Or none of the above? That's also an answer. And there's also a tweet here. The guy doesn't have a check mark, but neither do I. At um, his name is Farbad Ezna, Ezna Shari. Farbad Ezna Shari. Sounds good to me. Okay, he's an NBA credential writer covering the LA Clippers for S for Sports Illustrated, right? Okay, and he's got twelve thousand followers. He says a source is telling me that the Nets. This is like new news. A source is telling me that the Nets have engaged in talks with the Rockets. James Harden. 
for a variation of Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Tarian Prince, and Jared Allen. I guess a variation and or, I guess that means. Nothing finalized, he says, but Harden to Nets seems like a real possibility if finalized, announced November 22nd. Obviously, that's when free agency opens. Announcements are able to be made. Obviously, they're doing deals behind closed doors here, but he says, and he also followed up with, mind you, I never do these things. This is what I'm hearing right now through good intel. Let's see what the future holds. So, man, if you're a Nets fan, do you want James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant all on the same team? My um, my betting profile, I put some money on the, the Nets to win the uh, championship. I put 10 bucks to win, I think, 100 So I'm in. <laughs> that makes one of us. <laughs> Let's go to San Jose, Jesse. You're on the fan. Hey, how are you, Danielle? I'm good. How are you, Jesse? Oh, all is, all is well here. I, well, I, it was a lot better until you mentioned Evan Ingram. And then, and then I... <laughs> All the progress I had made over the past couple of weeks went out the window. I'm sorry. Well, I know, but it, I had to bring it up. I had to because they were that close to winning that game. It's part of the whole shit. But this is, this is the point. He didn't have to lay out. Just catch the ball. He didn't have to lay out. <laughs> uh, but, but anyway. If he laid well, out, it would have been a probability would have went through the roof to catch that ball. Well, but you have to, you, yeah, if you maintain the catch through landing on the ground. So I mean, he could he could have you know could have popped out once he hit the ground. But anyway, okay, could've. water under the bridge. We 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 move on. It is imperative the Giants beat the Eagles. Never mind winning the NFC East, which no one wants to win. <laughs> it's just important that you cannot let your little brother continue to beat you. Mm. And that's what's happened to the Giants. They have let the little brother become the bully. You meaning the Philadelphia Eagles as the little brother? Meaning the yes. The Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. I mean, I see it. I mean, the Giants haven't beat them in, uh, what was it, eight games? I don't don't know when. I can't, honestly, I cannot remember the last time the Giants beat them. I think it's eight matchups. They've won eight in a row, the the Philadelphia Eagles, if I'm not mistaken. That sounds about right. But but every game, it's a a replay. Every game, it's the Giants find a way to lose the game at the end of the game. And Mm. it is imperative they beat the Eagles. They have to. Yes, or their season's over, for sure. Well, I mean, I think, look, I think in real terms, the season's over anyway, but it's just the the respect. It's just the, the idea that we have to look up to Philadelphia. It's just, it's maddening. It's sickening. You know, if you get, um, and, and again, I'm going to have on uh, David Deal, and he was part of this team. If you get into the playoffs, anything can happen, right? I mean, right? Yeah, well, yeah, yes, that's true. Anything can happen. Um that doesn't mean anything will happen. Right. Anything could happen. But the probability is low. But, yes, anything could happen. There's a chance. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't like this. I mean, I can go to Vegas and anything could happen, too. But it's more likely I'm <laughs> going to lose my shirt. So. Um, the, the other point I had, um, uh, let's see. You talked about what a Connecticut people are. They're, they're nut, nutmeg. Yeah, we've heard. Yes. Yeah. Nut, nut. Okay. All right. I didn't know if you. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Okay. God bless. Um, uh. And as far as the uh, the Yankees, explain to me the rationale for holding on to Sanchez. I, I don't know what he's going to get you. I mean, I understand he hit 38 home runs two seasons ago, which which is fine. But for, okay, for it, me, for me, you hold on to him because his his stock is so low through the floor that you're going to need to to patch up your floorboards. That's how low he is. So I think if he if he 
I mean, why would you sell him low? I would not sell him low. I would sell him yes on the potential and the potential that he could possibly improve at the beginning of the season, hopefully, and then you unload him. Okay, but uh, but all right, and and your 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 rationale to somebody who wants a catcher is what you have a catcher who's poor behind the plate defensively, so he's going to cost you some runs there. Mm-hmm. A catcher who cannot hit for for average, can hit for power, but he is extremely um, inconsistent, extreme swings. So yeah, he'll get hot for you know three weeks, and then he's cold for a month and a half. Understood. And but maybe but he comes back. Say you get say you get a hot shot hitting coach, and thanks for the call, Jesse. We got to move around along a little bit, but uh, say you get a hot shot hitting coach that says I can fix him. I've done it. I've done it as a coach. I can fix that. Change of scenery. Change of scenery, and and then what happens? His offensive game picks up, and then it's worth it. We've got um, David Deal at, at, at 320 here, you guys. So, Kevin, in Copac, you're on the fan. Hey, I want to talk about a tradition unlike any other. What's that? The Masters. Oh, the Masters. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> the, all I, uh, my golf game is me playing, whacking the ball at Top Golf and <laughs> avoiding mini golf at all costs because I'm not good at it. <laughs> I saw some James Harden to the Nets on Twitter. People were making yeah. jokes about them uh, fighting, all, all the madness that would ensue. Oh, yeah. Who's who's bringing the ball up? Who's yeah. who's taking the game-winning shot? Is he going to be part of the coaching trio that, that the other two seem to think that they've created? I mean, come on. They have D'Antoni, uh, D'Antoni and Stoudemire, right, on the coaching staff? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It, oh, anyway, here's, here's a conflicting report from Bleacher Report saying, James Harden is committed to the Rockets and is locked in for the season. I mean, if anything, this is fun, right? This is fun speculation, right? Yeah, the rumor mill. But James Dolan has to feel the pressure of the Nets taking over the city. Yeah, I mean, he swung and missed on two very big free agents. But we'll see how that ends up working out, you know? But Westbrook versus versus KD would have so much hype. But Chris Paul is a leader, president of the Players Association, can make the Knicks appealing again. Could. He could. But what hear, about that, that contract? A, uh, that contract is is really going to lock him up. Trying to take that that money off. I heard Carmelo's like he would come too. Oh yeah, Polkans. anybody? Oh Carmelo, no, forget Carmelo, forget Carmelo. Oh, he, he, he's a Nick Great. Oh yeah, Nick Great. Yeah, that's how we want to remember him. Not a has been. Thanks for the call, Kevin. And I, I'm just trying to get to you guys right before we get to. Uh, um, I always want to say Kevin Zeitler, <laughs> David Deal coming up at three twenty. Rob in Babylon, you're on the fan. Yeah, I, I was just, I was, I was listening to you, uh, you, you know, you speaking the good things that I always like to hear when you speak. Oh, you always hear a lot of good things, a lot of good information. And I think right now that we're in the pandemic and all this stuff going on with, with sports, it's kind of, it's, 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 it's kind of hard to like determine the players that you're going to go after. Because some of these guys, to me, I believe, you know, they, they really thrive on, you know, the, the seats being filled. Right. You know, and they, they you know, that hypes them. You know, those I, are the guys. I'll that, tell you, I always loved playing in front of a big crowd. Always. Right, right. And, and you know, something, right, playing in front of a big crowd because you're on the stage. But then when you, when, now we, you, you, here we are, you know, people are sick. They're worried about, you know, contracting, 
Yeah, I said to myself, I said, yeah, I said, you know, these guys are not even going to want to tackle these guys. They're going to be like, wait a minute, he's been tested and that hurt and he got, he's positive. You know, and so they said, what? I'm not tackling that guy, whatever. <laughs> and I mean, I, I made it as a joke, but yeah. the reality of it is right. that, you know, uh, uh, besides not having the fans, you got these guys, man, are worried, man. That you know that you know this you know their families, man, and the numbers are going up, the numbers are going down, you know, and it's crazy. So, I mean, we we got to pay homage at least to the fact that these guys are even going out there, you know, and, and still trying to compete, still trying to give us a normal life. And what about you know? the what about the players, the hockey players, the WNBA players, the the and the NBA players that went down to that bubble and didn't see their families, just you know. And, and, and you know, and for, and the guys that were especially with, with the hockey, you know, I mean, you know, these guys were out there, man, and they were trying to give, you know, the audience that they didn't have. But you know, we, you know, they were being supported mm-hmm. because we were watching them, you know, through our, you know, through through, you know, our, our TVs and our and our phones or whatever have you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's it's a lot of support, man. But you know, we gotta, you know, re- continue to remind ourselves that we can't put too much pressure on these guys that are, you know, falling, you know, they they you know, they're not their performance is low. You're not giving these guys chances. You think all of a sudden because you got a new owner that all of a sudden the Mets are gonna be, you know, the world champions, you know, whenever it's a lot of things, man, that because of this pandemic, you know, um we we we're we're gonna be unable people are just not even gonna be at 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 ease even being amongst the crowd. No matter what is being said, you know, oh, right. it's a new vaccine or whatever happened. People are still gonna be like, nah, man, I'm not doing it. Right. You know, and it's sad, man. It's really sad. Well, you Rob, know, that, yeah, Rob, you know, I, I appreciate the call. Yeah, okay. yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and and since we're playing contrarian belief tonight too, there's a contrarian belief that of these guys are getting paid to do it. They should be out there, the players. Obviously, on TV right now is college sports. They are not getting paid. Obviously, um. It's a it's a replay here that I'm watching, but um, yeah, the contrarian belief is well, they're getting paid to do what they need to make the sacrifice. Yes, I I do get that too. And as far as fans in the stands, at a, on a limited I, listen, what happened after that Notre Dame game was the storming of the field, which was was uh, unacceptable, totally unacceptable. You have a limited crowd for a reason, and they all storm the field. However, me personally, and I'm very careful. I am very careful. I would go to an outdoor game. I probably wouldn't go to a basketball game, but I would go to an outdoor game, baseball, football, if they were at a limited capacity. I would wear my mask, and I that's it. I would I would go, but that's me, and you have to understand that. And then there's also the financial impact for these 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 franchises across all of sports that it's not just going to be one year to get over. I mean, it's going to be two, three years to recover financially. Um, what's that movie? I can't f- cover financially from this. Oh, that's Tiger King. Oh God, I did not just say that. <laughs> but there's going to be um some teams that can't recover financially from this for a long time, and I think of the smaller market teams. So there's a lot to unpack with that. There's a lot of variables, and I'm not an expert in really any of it. So coming up next, oh, can't wait for this one. Coming up next, we've got David Deal, two-time Super Bowl winning offensive lineman for the New York Football Giants. I'm Danielle McCartan with you here on The Fan. As we roll along here on The Fan in New York City, 
We're about to be joined by two-time Super Bowl-winning offensive lineman for the New York football giants, David Deal. Hi, David. Happy to have you on tonight. Thank you. No, it's truly my pleasure, Danielle. It's great to be on. David, I'm happy to have you on because one of the main themes is the offensive line this season. And I, yep. we are conditioned to, to think that continuity is the most important on an offensive line. But Joe Judge has actually been kind of going against conventional wisdom and rotating his guys. And he cites things like fresh legs, different looks. As a player, as an offensive lineman, what other advantages are there to this concept of rotation? Well, I think it's actually a, a great thing of what he's doing with this rotation because I, I know a lot of people will say, well, it's an excuse, but when you don't have an offseason, where you don't have mini camps, where you don't have OTAs, where you don't have all the time where you can spend specifically on offensive line play, it definitely affects your regular season. You know, I think about the times that Rich Soybert and I played four or five straight seasons together. And even with all that game experience, by the time we got done with minicamp and OTAs and got to training camp, we had thousands of combination blocks, thousands of double teams, thousands of zone blocks to get that uh, that comfortability of one another, but also to know the footwork, to know the techniques together. So I think that's one of the great things that we've seen out of this offense and what Joe Judge and what Mark Colombo are doing with the offensive line are getting young guys opportunities, giving them opportunities to play in a season that we know is, is a condensed season. But with that said, we know that this Giants football team's building for 2021. We know that without having this offseason – this was their time to truly evaluate through a 17-week schedule their roster and what they want to do building it for 2021. And I always say when I was in the, the Giants team on 03, my rookie season when I got drafted, Coach Coughlin comes in in 04. And by the time that we hit 2005, there were only 17 of us left from the 03 roster on the 05 roster. So you know that there's going to be turnover. So I love the fact that he's given Matt Parrott opportunities to go out there and play. That was one of the things I hoped earlier before the season start. Get him in a jumbo tight end. Get him in as an, uh, goal line opportunities so he gets that game experience. Unfortunately, with Will Hernandez testing positive, that gave Shane Lemieux an opportunity to go out there and play. And then obviously with Andrew Thomas, who we thought was going to start at right tackle, but with Nate Solder opting out, getting thrust into the left tackle position, He's gotten his opportunity to start and experience, and we've seen him get taken out and Matt Perk put in. So I love the combination that we have two young tackles that can be the bookends of the New York Giants for a long period of time. And that's the one thing that when people talk about, man, I wish that we had your offensive line back. The problem is, is we all got old at the same age, and there was never that clear cohesion of who the next group was going to be in to take over those reins. And I think a lot of it was due to before Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman getting uh, picked on as the head coach and general manager, bad drafting and free agents. The last time the Giants had three offensive, a rookie offensive lineman to start at least one game in the season was in 2003, your season, your rookie season. Versus the Dallas Cowboys on Monday Night Football. Talk about on all times that you want to be starting three rookies in a game. <laughs> the, the, the 2020 Giants are doing just that and also with the first time center. So my question to you is, you know, when people say, oh, just switch that whoever offensive lineman to some other position on the line. What do you wish those people would understand? I wish those people would understand from somebody who played all four positions on the offensive line, but center that think about this. 
you're a right-hand dominant player. You're on the right side of the offensive line. You're a right tackle, and that's what you're used to doing. You're flipping around all of your technique, your footwork, your power leg, your hand placement. Everything gets reversed as well as the play call and the type of players that you're playing. So it is a tremendous difficulty to jump from one side to the other and be like, oh, no big deal. Just move them from left to right. It'll be fine. It doesn't work that way with offensive line because when you play O-line, there are no ties. You either win your battle or you lose your battle, and it comes down to the techniques and fundamentals to get that job done. And we're talking with Pro Bowl offensive lineman David Deal here on The Fan. Um, David, based on your playing experience, I mean, especially with we just talked about how young these guys are, could it possibly be a hindrance to them in their development being asked to play multiple positions at the NFL level? No, I think it's actually the complete opposite because that's what I did as well. And if you can do it early, especially in your career, and you can adapt and adjust to different positions, number one, it shows your value to the football team that you are not just a one-plug player. You're a commodity that can play different positions. And also, we know that there's trial by fire. I was a 21-year-old starting right guard in the NFL, and my first snap of my career, I gave up a sack. They ran a Mike Sam strong safety blitz that we didn't even talk about before the game. And all of a sudden, we come to the sidelines after we go three and out, and offensive line coach is like, what happened? I'm like, they ran this, this, and this. Oh, you got to squeeze it. You got to bring the tight end down. It was something that we never even talked about. But the thing that happened with that is we saw it again two weeks later. I knew the exact call to make, and we picked it up and actually had a huge third down conversion on it. So those are the things that this team and this young team are getting through this experience because you can't learn from sitting on the sidelines. You have to physically do it. And the more experience you get, even in adverse times like the Giants have faced this year, it's only going to bode well for you moving forward in your career. I mean, you know him. Obviously, I've never met him. But what human or, or personal qualities or characteristics does Joe Judge have that makes guys want to play for him? I absolutely love his demeanor. It's about discipline. It's about the techniques. It's about the fundamentals of it. And it's about doing it throughout an entire game. And he holds players accountable just like Coach Coughlin did. If he sees you do something perfect one time, he's going to hold you to that. Not because he's trying to be a grudge or any of that, because he knows you're capable of it. And I think that's one of the great things that we've seen out of Coach Judge. And it reminds me of the old Bear Bryant quote from Alabama, where he came from under Nick Saban as well. Coach the hell out of him and hug him later. He is as hard-nosed and as tough on them on the field as you can possibly get. But once you get off of the field, he knows their families. He knows their kids. He knows their personal situation. He can laugh. He has that relationship with them off the field because he is a coach under the age of 40 that can relate to these young players and is coached at the college level. So the fact that he can hold them accountable and be as stern and disciplined as he is, but then the minute that they're off of the field, he has that other relationship with them. That's why the players respect him, and that's why the players have been responding to the messages that he's been giving and the way that he handled the Colden Tate situation. Yeah, you know, looking at the talent on this roster, let's be honest. I mean, it, the roster is not the most talented in the league. So do you feel that this 2020 team is playing up for him? I do. I think that we've seen them ascend and make progress each and every week. And while we sit here, I mean, to be honest, the only game that was a blowout that they didn't have a contestant was the 49ers game. Every other game that they've been in and played and lost, you can look at the game, and it wasn't the plays that the other team made. 
It was the two or three or four plays that the self-inflicted wound showed up for the Giants. So I do think that they're playing and they've elevated their game for Coach Judge, Jason Garrett, and Patrick Graham on the defensive side of the ball. I think that they understand their roster. I think they understand the strengths and weaknesses of them. And I think that's going to show up in this game tomorrow up against the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's going to show up the rest of the season post by because last week the Washington football team, they didn't play them too long ago. Philadelphia Eagles tomorrow. That's a game that they played four weeks ago. So they have that personal experience of playing up against this offense and defense. And then after this game, it's the bye week. This is going to be the big telltale sign of this Giants team moving forward in 2021 is how do they play post-bye? Because both offense, defense, and special teams, you're going to go through the strengths, the weaknesses of what you guys are doing as a group, and you will get a sheet from the coaching staff on what you individually need to hone in on to make the corrections moving forward on the season. So from that point forward, I think that's where we're truly going to see this football team blossom and end the, the regular season with a big push. I get the sense that you would have liked to play for Joe Judge. I would. You know, I hear him out there and I heard him in his introductory press conference. I mean, there there are a lot of similarities to the coaching style of, of Coach Coughlin and holding people accountable and making sure that people are accountable to one another and are, are true teammates and that there are no agendas. The team comes before self. And you can see it in the way that they play and the way that they respond, especially when the offense makes a play on the field. You see the defense on the sidelines are engaged and in the game. The defense makes a play. The offense is doing the same. That shows a team that really cares about one another, that cares about winning. And through the adversity, you've never heard finger pointing. You, I think, would be more privy to this information than I am. But do you know, I mean, I agree. I love uh, Joe Judge hire. But do you know or have any information about how or what level of involvement Dave Gettleman had in selecting Judge? Was he a part of that at all? Uh, you know what? Obviously, when, when you're the general manager and you're going to be a mainstay with the new head coach coming in, I'm sure that there were discussions between Joe Judge, Dave Gettleman, John Mara, the Tisch family when they were making this decision. But at the same time, you know, when you, you sit there and you look at the Giants who have had two new, new head coaches before this over a four-year span, that's not Giants football. We know that it comes down to a head coach that's dependable, that can come in, and that can stay for a duration to really get the best out of your football team. So I think they made the decision what was best for the organization. When it comes to Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman, I do think that their evaluations are very similar. You know, when you think about Dave Gettleman, he was the head of pro scouting and of the department. So he was evaluating O-linemen, D-linemen, special teams players, just like Joe Judge was as a special teams coach. So I think they both look at players in a way that it's not just, okay, what can't he do? What can he do? What can he do well? And how do we put that player in a position to succeed and not ask him to do something that he can't do? Yeah, I do like uh, the pairing of them, actually, with all the free agent signings, especially on the defense this year. But yeah. you just use a word, David, that I, I think might – irk some Giants fans. You use the word Dave Gettleman and mainstay in the same sentence. Do you really feel that he will be the guy moving forward? Well, I mean, I was talking about head coaching. I mean, but when you talk about mainstay, yeah, you knew that Dave Gettleman was going to be the GM regardless of whether it was Joe Judge or another coach hired. So that's what I meant by mainstay. And in regards to Dave Gettleman, I know that he's been getting a lot of heat, but James Bradbury, Blake Martinez, Leonard Williams, those were all decisions that during the offseason, Jets fans and anybody in New York, why would you sign Leonard Williams? 
Look at how well Leonard Williams is playing. Look at how well James Bradbury is playing. Look at Blake Martinez. It's for once we have the epitome of what a Giants linebacker is that makes tackles and flies around and plays disciplined football. Those are exciting things. But the big thing that we're looking for and everybody's looking for are just the evaluation of the draft picks. I think that that's what everybody's looking for. How does Daniel Jones finish this season? How does Will Hernandez finish this season? Those are all great questions that have to be answered, and that'll do the, the talking for him once the season's over. Obviously, Andrew Thomas, too, fourth overall pick. Oh, yep, absolutely. Matt uh, Parrott, yep. Yep. So I guess let's put your Giants helmet back on. When you look at Daniel Jones, you know, again, the Giants really didn't have a preseason this season with a brand-new head coach, and this is a guy learning his second offense in two seasons, which I don't think people really quite grasp. What are some signs of progression to the untrained eye might you catch in uh, Daniel Jones? I think when it comes to Daniel Jones, I think last week was a good sign with no turnovers. He got that out of the way, and now it's just him moving forward and being smart with his decision-making with the football and that clock that's going on internally in his head when he's in the pocket. Those are all things that are controllable do I think Daniel Jones is the future quarterback of the New York Giants yes I do he has the arm talent he has the athleticism he has the intelligence of an offense but I think what happened was number one this season with the amount of pressure to where now where the offensive line is gelling it did affect his mechanics he's got to sit he can't drift he's got to drive the football He's got to do a much better job at that and live for third down. If it's second down, you're up in a game. You don't want to throw a costly interception. Take a sack, live for third down, or punt the football, especially when you're in between the 40s. And the other thing is, is that clock in his head with the pass rush. As I said earlier in the season, he was under an immense amount of pressure. Now it's up for him not to be looking for it and to see it, but to feel it and to use that athleticism in the pocket to make sure he can stand and deliver the football in a proper way. If you're comparing Daniel Jones to uh, to Eli Manning in their second season, you know how, how can you compare them? I said you can from the experience standpoint, except for when we didn't have uh, Eli Manning going into 05, we had the same offense. We had game experience from the 04 season, but in 05, we also had Tiki Barber, who rushed for 1,500 yards, had over 600 yards receiving, had a Pro Bowl season. He doesn't have Saquon Barkley. You can't take that away from the sheer fact that when you're a quarterback in your second season and you don't have a premier back that you can turn around and take some of it off of your plate, it makes it difficult to ascend at the quarterback position. But I think the way that we've seen Wayne Gallman starting to run the football, the offensive line starting to gel, I think, as I said, this is the true time where we're going to be evaluating the play of Daniel Jones moving forward, and I think it's going to be good to see. Sometimes I feel when I when I look at Daniel Jones that he's like sort of like a victim of this instant gratification culture. Like I feel that people want him to come in and, and be Patrick Mahomes right off the bat. Do you feel the same way? Well, you know, you think about that. Patrick Mahomes sat out a year, didn't he? Yep. And I think that's one of the things that when you have a young quarterback that comes in and has success, people think of it that it's just going to happen that way across the board. You know, it's a lot different. You know, a, a starting quarterback used to get ah, maybe two or three years to prove himself as a, as a player. Now it's like, okay, you got one season. Go out there and throw it all you got and see what happens. And as I said, I'm not making excuses in any way, shape, or form, but you have to take into effect when you're sitting here evaluating Daniel Jones. No offseason, no OTAs, no mini camps, and figure up until the middle of the season, he didn't have a full plethora of his weapons on the outside of the ball. Everybody was injured. Andrew Thomas, over the last two weeks, has not allowed a sack 
David Deal, obviously you being a Super Bowl winning, two-time Super Bowl winning offensive lineman, what do you attribute to his uptick? I think, number one, he's playing with a lot more confidence. I think he's playing with more confidence and an understanding and a grasp of what they're trying to accomplish with their offense and the schemes and what they're running. And then, two, honing in on his individual techniques and fundamentals. You see him bending more at the knees and more at the ankles instead of bending at the waist where that gets your shoulders in front of you and it gets you out of balance with your punch to where defensive ends can either pull you through or run the edge. He's done a much better job of maintaining inside leverage, giving the defensive end a one-way go, and being more confident with throwing your hands. You got to, as your uh, offensive tackle, you've got to be a boxer. You're not a gunslinger. You got to have those hands up, and you've got to have more than one punch set up up against these dynamic defensive ends. Because in the college game, you can get by with a two-hand punch and still be successful each and every rep. If you try to duplicate that and do it in the NFL. You're setting yourself up for disaster because defensive ends are going to chop. They're going to move your hands, and you better have a secondary move to be able to restart and redirect their rush. And we're talking with David Deal, co-host of WFAN's Football Sunday Show with Mark Malusis. I think, finally, we talked about the offensive line gelling. Um, I think maybe the Giants have sort of found an identity, even without Saquon Barkley, because they rushed the ball well. I mean, last week was a season-high 166 yards. In your opinion, have the Giants finally found that identity? I think that they have. I think that you're starting to see Jason Garrett come up with game plans that are putting their offense in success. I think that we saw that in the Tampa Bay game in this last Washington game. But more importantly, we need to see it in this Philadelphia game. When you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, people are going to throw around all these numbers and stats going into the game. But this is a heavyweight fight. This is a game that's won and lost in the trenches, and it's always been that way from the time that this tradition and rivalry started to even going back to when I first played in this game and this rivalry in 03. It always comes down to the O-line and the D-line and who can control the line of scrimmage. And I think that's going to be crucial. When you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, they've had struggles on the offense. They've had some struggles on the back end. But the one area that they never struggle with is their defensive line. They can attack the quarterback. I think they're third or fourth in the NFL with 28 sacks on the quarterback, 66 quarterback hits. They know under Jim Schwartz's defense how to get a quarterback off of a spot and, most importantly, try to get you out of a run game to where you can eat up the clock and be in short and manageable. So I think that that's going to be the big telltale sign of who's going to win, who can control the line of scrimmage, and who can keep their quarterback clean. That's going to be the biggest telltale sign of who wins this game because both Daniel Jones and Carson Wentz, who we've seen when they're under pressure, when they're getting hit, that's when some of those mistakes show up. NFC East wide open. Do you think the Giants have a real legit shot to win it? So you're saying we've got a chance. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Uh, You know what? As crazy as it is, they do. If they win this game up against the Philadelphia Eagles, it puts them in a position to where at the end of the year, when they're playing that week 17 game up against the Dallas Cowboys, they could be playing for something. They could be playing to get into the playoffs, which is an exciting thing. And that's one of the only things that you're looking for is to have a purpose and to have an opportunity just to get into the dance. And when you think about it, we've seen teams like the Seattle Seahawks who had that wild card game. They played it at home. They were 7-9. and nine. They shocked the world by beating the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees at home. There's no telling what can happen on any given Sunday when you get the opportunity to play an opposing team. Well, me and my dad were in Tampa Bay when you guys did it, and you guys won that Super Bowl that year, by the way. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, in 07, we always said that there were more Giants fans in Tampa than there are Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans. Finally, my final question, kind of along those lines, is speaking of identity and success, my vote is yes off the bat. 
would you like to see the Giants adopt those new throwback uniforms for good? Oh, that's the one thing. I, I was fortunate enough to play 11 seasons for the Giants, but we never got the opportunity to break out the old school all whites with the old Giants helmet that said Giants across the side with the white face mask. I would have loved to have worn those jerseys and those uniforms. But the good thing is, is that the NFL is talking about 2021 that they might allow NFL teams to have an alternate helmet. So that would allow you to have an alternate jersey and to be able to bring back that throwback for good. Love that. I'm sure my dad will too. David, thanks so much for your insight. We appreciate it. Truly my pleasure. Have a great one. David Deal. What a ball of energy, number one. What great insight. All right, we're going to open up the phone lines again, 877-337-6666, and we'll talk to you on the other side of this quick pause. It's an NFL triple header today, starting with the Giants and Eagles at 1 p.m. with Giants game day at 1130. Then it's second half action of the Rams and Seahawks and wrapping up with Sunday night football as the Patriots host the Ravens exclusively on your flagship station for NFL football. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. Welcome back to The Fan. I'm Danielle McCart, and rest in peace to Avicii. Um, gone too soon. You know this song. Levels, this is a good one. All right, we are here. It is Week 10 Football Sunday. It is Football Sunday, everybody, and the Jets are off. They can't lose. So we have the Philadelphia Eagles visiting MetLife Stadium and the New York Football Giants. Uh, the spread at the beginning of the week, I checked on Tuesday. The Giants were three, getting three and a half points. That means they're the underdogs, and as of right now, they are four-point underdogs. And that's on FanDuel, our sponsor, FanDuel. So do you guys think the Giants have a chance to win today? What would have to happen in order for them to come out with a win? I'm asking you, what do you think? I know the Eagles are coming off a bye week well-rested. Prior to that, they were on a two-game winning streak. I know, winning streak in the NFC East, right? LOL. But anyway, so they beat the Giants by one point in week seven and then handedly defeated, defeated the Cowboys in week eight. Then they went on the bye week. The Giants entered this game with an eight game, I was right, eight game losing streak to the Eagles, which only a few weeks ago, the last game could have been a Giants win. Let's be honest. Let's recap that really quickly. It was October 22nd. Giants blew an 11 point lead with five minutes to go in the game. Again, sorry, Jesse, and if you're still listening, Evan Ingram dropped the game sealer with 2-11 left to go in the game. The Eagles went on after that drop and won. And this is, again, remember Daniel Jones running for the end zone, running for his life, and trip and fall. Um, but they ended up scoring, so it's, 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 it's funny. We can laugh about it now. But if they didn't score, that wouldn't have been so funny, right? Some keys to victory I got for the Giants real quickly. Offensive line play for the Eagles is going to be the quarterback play and not just Carson Wentz. I got my prediction coming up, and we'll go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Ben in Queens, you are on the fan. Morning there, Coach. What's uh, up? Little by little, we get your club lifestyle coming out. <laughs> the weekend Jersey Shore. Avicii now. Here we go. And rest in peace to Avicii. Always made fun beats. Always made made sure people lost their minds dancing. I saw him once in concert. I, you know what, though? I, I don't want to. I mean, he wasn't. I wasn't impressed. Let's just put it that way. No. Well, you see, the thing with EDM is you have to be with the right people 
and the performer has to be feeling it. If he's standing out there, and I've heard that from friends, he's stand, sometimes he's into the music and he bounces all over the place and cool, like Chemical Brothers, like Daft Punk, and sometimes he's stiff. The beats are pounding, but, and you're dancing, but you look up on the stage and he isn't moving to his own beats. <laughs> well, it could have been, you know what, I'll cut him some slack, though. It was at Radio City, and it's not really, like, set up for something like that, so I'll cut him a little bit of slack, but it was cool to see him, and I'm glad I did get the opportunity, too. Yeah, and and their lasers, hey, hey every every rock and rap show now steals from EDM in terms <laughs> of using lasers, let's put it that way. Right. But let's get to sports. Yeah. Um, firstly, like I said to you last week, obviously, Derek Jeter has the lines tapped, and Kim, congratulations on getting the job down there. And for folks who say, well, she she isn't qualified, she learned under both the Yankees yep. and the Dodgers. And the White Sox. And, and the, the White- league office. <laughs> so, so I think she knows a little bit about baseball. I, I would think so. <laughs> I mean, uh, for folks out there, if you could find it, Real Sports did a feature on her. Two years ago, before she, uh, right after she got the Dodger gig, two, three years ago, three years ago, really? I believe. I have to look yeah. at that. Real Sports did a feature on her, and I was like, she was a part of the Yankee organization? I never knew she was part of the Yankee organization. Mm-hmm. Why did we let her go to the Dodgers <laughs> of all teams? So now she leaves the Dodgers to go to the Marlins, so congratulations to her. In terms of the Giants, it is simple, limit. The mistakes you lost to this team the last time because you kept giving them the ball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, Carson Wentz was not driving this team. But when this team keeps on getting the, the ball in your territory because of your mistakes, hi, Daniel Jones, I see you. I'm, I'm just pointing this in your direction. <laughs> you know, it, it makes things awfully easier and harder on your defense. So, Giants. Don't turn this ball over. It's simple. If the Giants don't turn the ball over, they are uh, they have a better capacity to win a hundred percent of these games. Right, and because, the same, but the same thing for the Eagles, though. I mean, they uh, turn the ball over more than the Giants do. Yeah, that and but that's what hurts. <laughs> that's that's what hurts because the Eagles gave the Giants the ball a couple of times and like, okay, do something with it, only for them to turn it over right back. Mm-hmm. And finally, I'll leave on this one. I have to do a little college before I step out of the building. And firstly, to Rutgers, uh, that that loss today hurt. Yeah, that wow. was that that one was a kick to the nards. Uh, Michigan fans, you, you can't even protect your boy anymore. That was a disgrace today. All right, and you did it with a team that hadn't played in close to a month. And that's how you came. <laughs> Wisconsin punked you in your own place. And for USC fans that were feeling happy, um, I would be a little scared with this team because uh, the same thing uh, uh, what I said about Michigan applies to you because Arizona hadn't played. And they're playing you that hard. Yeah, wow. And you had to sweat that much. And, and finally, I can't let my team go unscathed here. Miami, um, let me just say this. I am tired of the stupid penalties. The U is (laughs) great in concept, but the only reason Virginia Tech was in this game with you was 
you had three of the worst personal foul penalties at the wrong time. That'll do it to you. This team happened. <laughs> Coach, thank you for the time. Enjoy your night. Oh, thanks, Ben. You too. Yeah, that'll, that'll do it to you. And yeah, Rutgers lost a heartbreaker. What? Growing pains. What are you going to do? Brand new coach. Not really. Uh, again, same same boat as the Giants. Not really much of an offseason program. Brand new coach. Sort of. For this group anyway. And uh, that's what you get. It's okay. They're growing pains. They'll be okay. Lenny in Fort Lauderdale. You're on the fan, Lenny. What's up? Danielle. How, how are, are you? you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. The more I listen to you, the more I think you're the perfect replacement for Tony Page. Oh, you well, let the you. people talk. Yeah. And, uh, you respect their opinions, and you have great takes. And Always. I really enjoy listening to you. Well, thank you. That's first off. And now on a couple of my takes. Quickly on uh, what I tell you about LaRouche, it didn't take him two weeks before <laughs> he got a DUI. I know, I know. That was classic. They should mutually agree to part ways, in my opinion, oh, my at this God, point. Oh, my God, what a disaster. Yep. Between his lack of uh, being in touch with the players, uh, he's really setting himself up for being great for the community. Yeah, well seriously. Sure. Nice role right. model, right? <laughs> as far as the Giants go, I'm a Jet fan, but the Giants look like they're on the right direction. Yes. I think Judge is fantastic, and yep. that's the kind of guy that the Jets need in charge of that team. You heard David Deal. He would play for him. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, in, in the Knicks. Yeah. You know, Westbrook, it's nice that he wants to come, but that's not the kind of play you want on the team. The guy's just – who else would let him come and play – who else can he play for where he can come over and just dominate the ball and do what he loves to do? He's not going to set a good example. As opposed, he does play hard, which is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But me, I'd rather have Chris Paul or Van Fleet. Those guys are hard workers, and they play the right way, and they'll be good good leaders. I, I, I believe that would be a better example. Although Westbrook would be enjoyable to watch. If but you can go, you know, if you could be, right, be, right if you can go into the state into the watch them, sure. But I know you mean on TV, yeah. And, and that's yeah. the thing here. It's it's Knicks fans are grappling with who, which guy is it going to be? And Lenny, thanks for the call. Um, yeah, is it going to be? See, I posted a poll on Twitter. Uh, what was it yesterday, two days ago? I said Knicks fans, given your team situation, if you had to choose one, who would you pick? And reply with reasonings and or writing candidates and. I mean, it was pretty as even as possible. But who did edge out everybody was, in fact, my choice. So good for you, you guys. Fred Van Vliet came up um, with 32% of the vote. Next, let me look, was Victor Oladipo was 26% of the vote. Russell Westbrook got 24 And then Chris Paul came in last, surprisingly, um, among Knicks fans that are, you know, on my Twitter. But, uh, yeah, Fred Van Vliet would be the guy I would look at. I would not try to take on the contract of Chris Paul. I want no part of it. And Russell Westbrook, same deal. I just think that Fred Van Vliet, listen, in order to get him, he, he first of all, the other ones are coming via trade, okay? So, But Fred Van Vliet, he's, he's a true point guard. That's what the Knicks need, and that's what they have been needing. Like Just like the Yankees need pitching, the Knicks need a true point guard. He's 26 years old. He's in his prime. And he started in all he started in all fifty four games that he appeared in for the Raptors this season. So you know what I like about him? You know what I like about Fred Van Vliet? Let me tell you something. And I guess it reveals a little bit of my personality as well, but he he was an undrafted guy. This guy worked his way up and onto an NBA roster within three seasons. He earned himself a ring. The guy's a knockdown shooter, he's a good playmaker, and he's a good defender. 
You know what? I just, I love the hungry guys like that. He's like a Victor Cruz type, right? Everybody can get behind Victor Cruz. I think everybody can get behind Fred Van Vliet. He, he, he's, he won not only just the championship with the Ross, with the Raptors, he also won a D-League championship. I know, D-League, okay, but okay, he still won it in 2017. And then when you look at, I always look at, and across any sport, what are their playoff numbers as compared to the regular season numbers? I'm looking for a drop-off or an increase or a stay the same. I look quickly at his playoff numbers, and they were pretty much true to his career numbers. Field goal percentage, three-point percentage, points per game, they all kind of match up, which tells me that he does not disappear in the playoff series. Not to mention that he actually has playoff experience, you know? So some comments, though, kind of kind of rubbed me the wrong way on J.J. Reddick's podcast. One was he said, I'm trying to get paid, man. I'm not shy about that. The Raptors are allowed to go over the salary cap to re-sign him. But you guys, in his entire career so far, he's only earned $19 million and earned a championship. I can see where he's coming from. But even though... I mean, the, the Knicks are obviously the ones with the deepest pockets in, in the league in terms of staying under the cap. The Knicks have a lot of money to spend. I would not offer him a max deal because, that, again, along the same lines as the other guys, it kind of handcuffs you for what you want to do in a really good free agent class next year. Um, I think, see, the draft is before the free agency period. So I think if you see the Knicks – Going point guard in the draft, I don't know what that means for the free agents that are going to be potentially coming in here. I don't know. And this, which is a potential roadblock for the Knicks and their, I think, perennial rebuilding period, right? He said, this is Fred Van Fleet, he said, I don't have to tell people that I value winning. Do your research. I've never been on a losing team my entire life. That's what I am about. Now, that can go one of two ways. (laughs) That could uh, go, he he could be disgruntled from day one. Or what better to be the guy that brings the Knicks, the New York Knicks basketball back to relevancy? Right? To be that guy. Another quote that he said that kind of, he said, I am only four years in, but I feel like I'm in the verge of blossoming even more with even more of a lead role and taking more responsibility in my game. That I liked. Because that's what the Knicks need. So, I don't want to hear about Chris Paul. I don't want to hear about Russell Westbrook. I don't want to really... I mean, Victor Oladipo would be nice. But again, he's not a point guard. He's a shooting guard. And I think R.J. Barrett, I don't give up on him just yet. I mean, not yet. You have to give him all the minutes that you can give him. Don't t- take any away from him. And Victor Oladipo would take some away from R.J. Barrett. But if I'm picking between these guys, again, I'm going Fred Van Vliet, but not on some sort of going to get it anywhere, t- to be honest, especially in, in the you know the COVID backdrop, with, with the COVID backdrop, I should say. But out of all those guys, we could talk about the positives and the negatives of, of all of them if you'd like, coming up in the next hour. We could do that. But after examining all the choices, you know me, I do a real good examination. Really good. 
I'm going Fred Van Fleet. And I'm going to agree. In agreeance. By the way, I wrote this up before I put the the, uh, the poll out there, just so you know. And also, I have a bone to pick with uh, you, the WFAN tweeters, after uh, after last week's show. Yeah, you, the tweeters. Not you, the callers. You, the tweeters. I'm going to let that marinate for a few seconds. We got an update with Mike McCann coming up. I'm Danielle McCartan here with you on The Fan. Danielle McCartan. Sports Radio 1019 FM. The Fan. Welcome back, everybody. As we roll along, 4.0, just about 4.04 here in the, mor- in the morning in lower Manhattan, New York City, the greatest city in the world. Hey, did you guys get a chance to uh, take, a, take a look at my Twitter feed from, from this time last week, pretty much? Um, I took the long way home. I don't even, I don't know if you know this, Pat. I took the long way home and I caught the sunrise on 42nd Street. And I took this picture that is now the background on my phone. I mean, I'll send it out again. I, I could send it out to you guys again on Twitter at Coach MCCARTAN. But I caught like Manhattan Henge with the sunrise coming up on an empty 42nd Street. I guess it's just a sign of the times, I guess. I, I have not seen this. Oh, you know what? I'll take a screenshot and I will send it out momentarily. So at Coach M C C A R T A N. Um, yeah, and it's football Sunday, everybody. It's exciting. Uh, the Giants have an exciting game coming up. The Knicks have options um, at what they're going to do. NBA draft is coming up. Oh my God, we have so much to do. How do we not get to all of this just yet? We didn't finish any of it. We started a lot of it. We didn't finish any of it. Which that's the goal moving forward. And again. At 420, I've got, hang tight, because I've got an epic segment. Me, Lori Rubinson, and Maggie Gray. Under, operating under the premise of the Kim Ng hire. And then we're going to go from there. So, hope you guys can tune in for that. That's going to be pretty epic. I don't usually ever use that word, but I think it's going to be epic for you epic. guys. <laughs> By the way, I just saw that picture. That is a beautiful oh, you saw picture. It. That's saw gorgeous. It. Thanks. I'm a photographer. Did you take that while driving? No comment. <laughs> I mean, there was no traffic. There was no one in front of me. There's no one behind me. I mean, you just put the e brake. You put the e brake on in the middle of the street and just, uh, you know, take a picture. New York City. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it was it really. I, I was literally doing like two miles an hour, and I probably shouldn't say that because there's probably NYPD police officers. Thank you for your service, everybody. <laughs> Don't pull me home, over they're, on the way they're, home. They're going to be gunning for you now no, on the way home. No, please no. I, I was barely moving. I, I, I know. All right. Well, I just incriminated you're all, myself. You're all flustered. I know. I just incriminated myself. <laughs> Please don't be looking for me. I'm a good person. I, I return the shopping cart every time I go food shopping. I put the cart back every single time. I'm a good person. I just couldn't pass <laughs> up that picture. <laughs> all right. Back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Tony in Lower Manhattan. Our neighbors. What's up, Tony? How you doing, Coach? <laughs> that was really funny, the picture and everything cracking up here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know. I just incriminated myself. Oh. Uh, I think you're good. Don't worry. I hope so. Um, <laughs> I, I do security, actually, in New York City. I work for the banks, and I drive around, and I remove homeless people from the ATM festivals. But they sleep in there. Anyway, yeah. I, call, <laughs> I called about the uh, the Raiders and the Broncos game, but before we get to that, I want to say I completely agree with you and the Knicks. Stay away from Chris Paul. Stay away from Russell Westbrook. Point guard, I think he can lead the team. Um, and yes, I, did, I believe R.J. Barrett, we still give him a chance, mm-hmm. just like Daniel Jones. Mm-hmm. We don't give up. Just 
quite just yet. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. All right. Um, who do you think is gonna, it's going to be a tight one? I think it's going to be a close game. Who do you think is going to um, win the uh, Broncos and the uh, Raiders game? Ooh, are you which? That's that's a weird. Which are you a fan of? Oh, I'm actually a Falcons fan. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> what? Well, no, I'm a I'm a Falcons fan, but um, you know, um, I was just wondering your advice on the Raiders Broncos game because, like, you know, I just wanted to know. It's going to be a tight one. I think there's a two and a half spread. And oh, by the way, I just got in my car, so I apologize. Did you say anything? Cause the no, Bluetooth, no, I got right, you. The, no. no problem. The I know, yeah, yeah. About the Knicks. Yeah, yeah I figured. No, yeah, I got you. I got you. So, uh, okay. um, so I am not responsible for any money that you're going to lose on this game. Let me just put that out there. <laughs> no problem. Don't worry about that. Don't worry. Um, I do. I do like the Raiders. I, I wish I can go to that stadium and see it in person. You know, know, go to a game. It's beautiful. You got the yeah. view of the the strip and in the one end zone with the torch. Um, but getting back to yep. the game. Um, I I I love Las Vegas. By the way, I go yep. I go a lot. Um. <laughs> Not not to gamble or anything. I have friends that live No, there. I know. Don't worry. Don't worry. I completely agree with you, by the way. And I appreciate your response and everything. You're just so talented. Thank you so much for just doing a good job on the air. And, yeah, let's go Knicks and have a good day. Thank you. Well, Tony, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, Yeah, Las Vegas. My God. That stadium, I, I've seen that stadium being built every time I go. I, you know, it's like, how, how far is the stadium? How far is it? How far is it? That stadium is beautiful. And it's a shame that no one really gets to experience it just yet. I have friends out there. They did not opt for season tickets, though. They actually have season tickets to the Golden Knights. And if you've ever seen, I mean, the Golden Knights hockey team, and maybe they're listening now. I actually texted my friend before to tune in. Um, But anyway, the Golden Knights, if you go to a game there, it's like a party, man. It is a party atmosphere. I'm so grateful to them that they took me to the game and, and... We'll continue to, I hope. But they did not opt for Raiders season tickets because they are actually from Buffalo, and they're Buffalo Bills fans. So there you go. And just a little shout-out to the Italian-American club in Las Vegas. If you'd like to go, tell them you know me. I uh, I know some people there. <laughs> um, but anyway, back to the game. I think the Raiders pull this one out. I just – I mean, Drew Locke is struggling, and they're, it comes down to the quarterback, right? The quarterback is the most important player on the field, right? Drew Locke's struggling, and Derek Carr is coming off a week where he – 165 yards, two touchdowns, and a 108-1 passer rating. So, um, Raiders. I'm going Raiders, and I love those jerseys, by the way. The ones I just looked up a picture of what they were last week, you know. Those jerseys are sweet. The ones with the white, all whites with the gray numbers. I think they were the Color Rush ones not from not long ago. But since we're making picks, why don't we do our, our giant game coming up today, our New York football giants. Because the Jets are not playing, so there's nothing to pick there. Key to victory for the Giants. We talked a little bit about it as the um, as the Oregon game, Oregon game is on TV right now. Key to victory for the Giants. Offensive line play. In the Washington game, there were seven different offensive linemen that saw playing time. Gates, Zeitler, Lemieux, Thomas, Fleming, Parrott, and Slade. Hernandez still, I believe, is on the COVID-19 list. We talk about this every week. The Giants were behind the eight ball. They had a new coaching staff, the whole thing. We talked about it before. I think the Giants are onto something with the rotation, line rotation. You heard David Deal. He loves it. And I also think, as I talked about with him, I think the Giants found their identity as a team. 
with rushing the ball especially. I think some huge, major kudos to Jason Garrett. This is a guy that was a head coach for many years. And now it's a demotion. He took a demotion to be an offensive coordinator, and I like the work that he's doing. The Giants are going to have a huge litmus test today. They did a good job against Washington's defensive front. The offensive line, that is. Football Outsiders says the Eagles' defensive front is number four in the NFL against the run and five in rushing the passer. They got some big names on there. Graham, Sweat, Cox, Barnett, Curry. They are capable of dominating a game, Football Outsiders says. Duh. But you got Joe Judge, he says. I like the way we're playing aggressively on offense. I like the tempo we're playing with. That's not always going to be part of the game plan. Sometimes we may slow it down. I like the last few games, our ability to work some tempo. I like how we're running the ball, and that's setting up some plays downfield in the passing game. And I wanted to get to that. Because Daniel Jones, downfield plays, everybody wants to knock him for it. Guys, I almost fell off my chair when I saw this. There was There's a chart, next-gen stats. Maybe I could tweet it out for you guys. Next-gen stats, or put it on Facebook even, facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, by the way. He is way above league average in passes. This is a little small. Passes beyond 20 yards. Yes, you heard that right. Let me say that again. Daniel Jones is well above league average when throwing the ball 20 yards or greater. Where he's also above league average is right over the middle of the field between 10 and 20 yards out. Above. Everywhere else, you know, needs to work on a little bit. But you cannot knock him for the deep ball, you guys. You just can't do it. It's the it's factual. This is a fact. So there you go on that. The key to victory for the Eagles. Their quarterback play, not just Carson Wentz's play. This is like 1B for the Giants, too. Carson Wentz torched the Giants in Week 7. Carson Wentz. 359 passing yards versus the Giants in Week 7. Guy had the game of his life. I mean, not really, but it was a good one. The top passers in that week in terms of yardage, Burrow, in order, Burrow was number one, Wilson, Brady, Murray, Carson Wentz was number five. And only by a yard. Kyler Murray beat him by a yard. And Tom Brady beat him by 10 yards. So he very well could have been the third most yards, third highest passer terms of yardage that that week week seven so let's play a game all those names i just mentioned let's play a game like we used to play when we were in elementary school which does not belong burrow wilson brady murray wentz that's the answer wentz is the answer the eagles have 17 turnovers as a team wentz has 16 of them he leads the nfl eagles fans Listen, they seem to think that Wentz's bad sacks, his four fumbles, his 12 INTs, he's forcing his passes, he's refusing to throw the ball away under duress. Doesn't that sound familiar, Giants fans? Eagles fans think this is the single biggest reason why the Eagles are 3-4-1 and one instead of 5-3. and three. Hold on to the ball too long, take sacks at other times. He's been sacked 32 times. Not his, all of them his fault, but a lot of them are. So my question is, 
Will the Eagles get more comfortable with using Jalen Hurts in big spots? I think, I think if the Giants, remember this, 4.15 in the morning, if the Giants are leading the Eagles at halftime, I think it's Jalen Hurts' time. Remember, as crazy as this sounds, with the records are where they are, this is a must-win game for both teams. And those games tend to have some crazy things happen in them. Doug Peterson said, we understand that our backup quarterback, we understand that our backup quarterbacks here have to be prepared, whether it's a situation like that. A situation like that. That's what we're talking about. If it's not a total takeover, I do expect him to have a greater role, expanded role, more packages for him. This may catch the Giants defense off guard. Hertz is a completely different look than Wentz, like a Drew Brees, Taysom Hill sort of deal. And because of his ability to run, there's got to be a defender assigned to him, which creates more options. So prediction time. Remember. Oh, and one more thing. Philadelphia put, I wouldn't pick uh, Darius Slayton as an anytime touchdown scorer because Darius Slay shut him down last time around. Darius Slay held Darius Slayton Two receptions, 23 yards, and only three targets in Week 7. Who else is going to step up for the Giants? Maybe it's Evan Ingram and a little bit of redemption. Remember, just one more time, that they came within a fingertips length of beating the Eagles in in Philadelphia in Week 7. The Eagles are coming off their bye week. They beat the Cowboys handedly in the week before that. And the bye week could not have come at a better time for the Philadelphia Eagles. They will see the return of many players that were not around for the Giants in Week 7. These are all expected to play. Last I checked, running back Miles Sanders coming back. Tight end Dallas Goddard coming back. Wide receiver Alshon Jeffrey coming back. Wide receiver Jalen Rieger coming back. And probably really important to Carson Wentz's uh, play here is left tackle Jason Peters. Also coming back. That's one, two, three, four, five guys that were not around the first time around. Again, 359 yards Wentz posted to throwing to backups. What will the return of all these players mean? I mean, we'll see. Again, I think this is a wild sloppy one, which at least means it'll be exciting, right? Giants eke this one out. I used the word last week too. Eke it out. Giants 24, Eagles 21. Book it. Coming up, me, Lori Rubinson, Maggie Gray. I'm Danielle McCartan with you on The Fan till 6 a.m. Kimming, 30-plus years in Major League Baseball, the White Sox, Yankees, Dodgers, MLB Commissioner's Office in that order, eight postseason appearances, six of those were in the LCS, and three World Series championships, all with Derek Jeter and the New York Yankees, by the way. Kim Ng was hired on Friday the 13th of November as, quote, the first woman hired to the GM position by any of the pro men's sports teams in the North American major leagues, end quote. This from the Miami Marlins. Jeter, who I'm sure was behind this hiring, came up clutch again, slamming this one out of the park. You know what I have to say? It's about time. So I felt that there were only a select couple of people around here that could give a unique perspective and context on this. And as a special surprise to you, the WFAN audience, 
I'm joined by our midday co-host, Maggie Gray, and our weekend regular host, Lori Rubenstein. Thanks for hopping on here with me, you guys. Hey, Danielle. Thanks for having us. Delighted to be with you. Excellent idea, Danielle. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I mean, obviously, we, we all know Kim Ng's qualifications. So my first question to the panel here is, uh, what took so long? Whether it's business or it's sports, um, we live in a copycat world. And we see this with sports teams. You know, oh, the, you know, this team wins with high on-base percentage or great defense or whatever it is. Regardless, you know, it's baseball, it's football. And then everybody wants to you know, follow that. Um, Sean McVay has success. Everybody wants that young boy genius. I think that people want to hire people who they're comfortable with and look like them, ultimately. That's what makes them comfortable. And I think that that's a lot of, whether it's people of color, women, we've seen that. And and to me, that's why Kim Ang, has, it, it took somebody with, with courage and bravery to pave the way in Kim Ang and then also to make the decision to, to hire a Kim Ang. And ultimately, it's Jeter who has a, a history with her and has sat across from the negotiating table from her and realized how good she is at her job. And, you know, I think why it took so long is going to be the obvious reasons. You know, if you, like Lori said, if you've never seen a woman, it's a chicken and the egg thing. Or if you... You know, these glass ceilings, unfortunately, just take a really, really long time to break, and especially in sports. And I think that it just takes one person sticking their neck out for you, realizing how good and and qualified you are for the job. See, that's the thing about Kim. It's a lifetime in baseball. This is no experiment here. I mean, this is someone who has the bona fides. And think about this just in any walk of life. She went from being an intern with the Chicago White Sox to being the assistant general manager with the New York Yankees in nine years or eight years. That is an unbelievable trajectory. It took her a much longer to finally get to the top spot of GM. And ultimately, it took a guy who knows her very well. And that's hopefully what will pave the way for many more women to come after her. One more thing about Kim. She told people she wanted to be a GM. And I think sometimes as women, we can all, you know, we, we kind of nod our heads when, when other people say this. Sometimes we don't make our intentions kind of clear. And I think it was really important that for a long time, she said, I want to be the general manager of a baseball team and, and put it out there so that everyone knew she felt she was qualified enough to do, to do the job. I think that was important. Now, you, what you're getting at, the word I always think of is belief. Mm-hmm whether it's to sit behind the mic and, and do some of what we do, which is fun, um, and much more remarkable to be the first female general manager um, you know, in baseball. But that intent, make it known, it starts with belief, that self-belief that I can do this, and then perseverance, resilience. It's an extraordinary person who's going to interview seven times for a general manager job, get rejected seven times over 15 years and come back to the ace. Yeah, that was absolutely going to be my, my next point there is like, what are these teams like the Angels, the Giants, the Mariners, Padres, and we can even lump the Mets in there too. Like, what did they miss? What did the Marlins see and what did they miss? Hard to say, right? It's hard to say. I, I think that anyone who's been rejected for a job who feels like they're qualified for the job is always left wondering, why not me? Why this person? You know, obviously with the Mets, they went in a totally different direction and went to an agent with Van Wagenen and that basically, you know, didn't work. So I, I think you're going to see a lot of people who have a lot of regret, quite frankly. I mean, if she's good enough for the White Sox, she's good enough for the Yankees, she's good enough for the Dodgers, and she's good enough to work for Joe Torre, handpicked in the commissioner's office and for Major League Baseball's central offices, then she's 
damn well good enough for any team in baseball. And I'm just happy that the Marlins realized it. Yeah, but here's my, my moment of snark because I can't help it. How many teams passed over John Daniels gets hired as GM of the Rangers at 28 years old? You know, Theo Epstein gets hired as GM of the Red Sox at 28 years old. It seemed like, look, and I'm not saying they're not good at their jobs, but it seemed like if you have an advanced math degree (laughs) and a pulse and you were a man and you were 28, you know, people are getting these jobs and she's getting passed over. And then what were the Mets and, and, and Jeff Wilpon thinking when they decided Okay, Kim Eng shows up with a gazillion years of experience, three rings from the Yankees. In, oh, she worked for the Yankees and the Dodgers as assistant GM. I know. Let's hire an agent with no front office experience. What's the worst he can do? Trade our best prospect to the Mariners? I get it. You're so right about that. You're so right about it. And, you know, Kim also, you know, had to navigate. Think about it. There was kind of a sea change in baseball where – a lot of times it was former players who were actually getting a lot of these GM jobs. And then it really changed to like the quote unquote, like the nerds, the nerds started to get the job and it was more the Ivy league. Um, not that players can't be from the Ivy league. I know that, but it was more of the guys with the math background, not so much the players background. So she's kind of been there through all of it. And obviously, you know, she comes from just the straight up baseball background <laughs> and started as an intern and is now obviously a general manager. So obviously a historic day on the 13th of November, but then every article that I'm seeing on my Twitter feed, and then I, I, I look at the comments. I do. I can't help myself. And <laughs> yeah, that's your first mistake. <laughs> I know. But what do you guys wish these people would understand? I mean, how big of a day it is and how important it is, because listen, if it means nothing to you, then go along with your day. It means a lot. To, to me, it means a lot to women. And you know what? It should mean a lot to men as well, especially if you have sons. Because if you are raising a child now, while people will say, listen, it is great that now a, a little girl can see a woman ascend to these kind of heights. I think it's really good for little boys to see this too. This needs to be more normalized where you're seeing women who are holding positions of power. That's good to see for women. And it's really good to see for men. So if you're the person who really can't get anything from this day, honestly, like look a little deeper, look a little bit closer at what this may mean. It should mean for both genders. And also let's not discount the fact that she's an Asian American as well. That is huge too. So all around, this is a big day. If you don't get it, that's on you. Props for baseball, whether it was the significance of Major League Baseball breaking the color barrier with Jackie Robinson in 1947 and the societal impact and importance of that and what it did for society. Well, you know, here is a significant glass ceiling that is being broken by Major League Baseball. And that's something baseball should feel proud about. It is a special day for a lot of people. It's a special day for women. It's a special day for Asian Americans. Let people feel special and happy about it. Give us a day. Get off your social media, uh, you know, snark. And for a day, take a deep breath and, and maybe just think of your mother, your sister, your daughter, your girlfriend, your wife, before you hit send on that post. Just picture looking her in the face and and maybe don't hit send today. Give us a day. (laughs) Send it tomorrow. Just kidding. Totally kidding. So she also said, she issued her statement. There's two things I wanted to pick out of that. One of them, the quote was, when I got into this business, it seemed unlikely a woman would lead a major league team. 
So I kind of defer to you guys now. When when you guys got into this business, I want to ask you now to complete the sentence. When I got into this business, dot, dot, dot. I know that there have been women before me who have come. So I was just taking it as this huge responsibility because we're still so underrepresented in this particular industry. There are just, I mean, we can count almost on two hands how many women are doing this across the country. That still is crazy to me, but I guess what it comes down to for me in terms of this industry is that it's going to take more women being in positions of hiring or if not women, very open-minded men who understand that not everything has to sound one way. And so I, I think that I guess when I got into this business, dot, 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 I hope that it wasn't such a big deal that another woman would get into this business is how I would answer it. I hope that the next time it's not an article about this woman is the first one to do this time slot, or I hope it's not an article like the one that was written when I was the first woman at WFN to take maternity leave. I don't want that to to be something where, and, and I'm all for first, obviously, but I hope it becomes a lot more normal that these kinds of things happen in our industry. When I first started posting on WFAN, I actually was the only woman who was hosting at the time. It was before Kim Jones started doing some shows. I did feel a responsibility to do the job well so that others would have an opportunity who came after me. And I did see that from Susan Waldman and even Erica Herskowitz doing the updates, you might not be posting, but Erica was there and doing the, and doing the updates. I felt like there was a chain. It then, you know, Maggie, you're part of that chain. Now, you know, Danielle, you're part of that chain. And it may have started with Susan, but we're part of that chain. You know, I feel a responsibility to do the job well, but still be true to myself. One of the things about sports radio sports talk radio is that people will hear it if you're not being authentic you have to be yourself and so you can't you can't be anything other than who you are but do it as you know yes being a woman is part of who you are but do the job well professionally and authentically and that should be enough for people to respect you and to continue this chain that will go on you know i i was thinking about this too and i think that you know Yes, more women in positions of power, you know, of hiring. But I'd like to think that that Mark Chernoff is one of those guys that's what they call like like an ally, you know. Like I think he's very open minded, and I mean, I, I, me anyway. I thank him because I did not go to school for this. So I think you know when I got into this business, I did not think I'd be sitting here in New York City and the biggest media market in the world doing a sports show. Never in my wildest dreams. I I think we'd all say you know yeah, Chernoff put us in these chairs, so it gave the opportunity. I would, I would absolutely agree with that. Yep. Mark Chernoff, Chris Olivero. I mean, and, and I think that they recognize that they are the leader in terms of sports talk radio across this country. What people see WFAN do, it's almost like the copycat thing you were talking about, yeah. Lori, when, when sports teams do it, there could be a bit of that in our own industry. So the fact that the fan, the fact that Susan Walden was the first voice on the fan, the fact Lori, that you've been doing shows for so long on the fan the fact that they hired me at all. I mean, that is and goes to show, I think that the fan can be a leader through the entire country and really set a new precedent in sports talk radio. It has that kind of power, this radio station. One of my, uh, I might change my Twitter bio to be this, but another phrase that Kimming used was, I am dogged in the pursuit of my goals. And um, was there ever an endeavor? I mean, it's been a long time coming as we talked about. Was there ever 
a point where like through this lens, you guys either became frustrated enough to quit or frustrated enough to make it at all costs? So my career path is, is weird anyway, which is that I was, I didn't start into this until really mid-career, you know, got an MBA in Wharton, started working in business, and then said to myself, I will always have a regret if I don't try this. I believe I can do it, and I'll always have a regret if I don't try this. And I did. I had been working um, full-time co- uh, co-hosting a sports talk radio show in Central Jersey and getting paid you know, I like I definitely would have been paid a lot more to work in fat, you know, at a fast food restaurant than what I was being paid. <laughs> and at a certain point, I said, all right, I went back to some marketing consulting and was essentially giving it up. And at that point, I wrote Mark Turnoff, who I had been corresponding with and sending some of my stuff to. And he was kind enough to actually turn up would send me critique um, back on some of my stuff when I was at that other station. And I sent him sort of my last missive on, it was a commentary about WFAN and what was going on and basically that they needed a woman around there. <laughs> and I said yes. something and I thought I wouldn't hear back. And he didn't respond to that, which probably the lawyers would have told him, don't touch that email. <laughs> about a month went by, a few weeks went by, and I got this note that said, I hadn't forgotten you. Would you like an audition? It was Memorial Day Monday. 14 years ago, a couple of hours on an overnight, I had at that point sort of given it up, gave up the station in New Jersey for a period of a few months of thinking, maybe this isn't going to happen because I don't know if I financially can afford to do this. But I guess maybe I didn't because I was still writing March. (laughs) (laughs) You're still being dogged in the pursuit of your goals, Lori, just like him. Yes, I was. (laughs) My path to fan is is a little bit different because I was at Sports Illustrated and I was, you know, always wanted to be the person who was doing like journalism with a capital J. Like I really wanted to be more in the vein of like um, hardcore interviewer, always with a skeptic eyebrow and always wondering like, what's the real story here? And, And Sports Illustrated was a really great way to foster that. And then as I got a once a week Saturday morning show, 6 to 10 at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings on CBS Sports Radio, that's where I really started to find my voice. And so I was never really frustrated at Sports Illustrated, but it was amazing to have this like outlet at CBS Sports Radio. So the whole week I would be doing like interviews and 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 doing trying to do enterprising journalism at, at SI. And then on Saturday morning, I'd be like, well, here's what I really think about everything. It really helped me be able to kind of flesh out my entire on-air personality. It's basically my same personality, just jacked up a little bit. It ended up being something I really fell in love with. And then when the opportunity came along to replace Mike, I mean, it was the opportunity of a lifetime. And now I found myself absolutely in love with this job and loving it much more than I ever thought would be possible. And that's where it's really come to be this this really incredible in time of my life, quite frankly. And I, I'm trying to enjoy it as much as I can and always make sure that I'm keeping the audience in mind because they don't really, like they care about me, but I care about them more. <laughs> it's, it, it's more about, am I getting to you today? Am I talking to you in a way that makes you feel something and I've appreciated the audience has, has responded, you know, pretty well. Like one of the most proud days of my life, life, I mean, talking about career, but life was the day that I was number one on WFAN. I, I, I still think to that. And that is always the goal at fan and to be number one. And that was such a huge day. And, um, and really made me feel like 
like I, this was meant to be. Well, excuse me while I go and pick up the shattered glass off the floor. Thanks for joining me tonight, you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Danielle. Thanks for having us. Epic. Lori, Maggie, McCartan in a segment. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback on Twitter at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N or on Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Um, and that'll be on the uh, the replay for the next 24 hours, and I think Pat's going to dice that up as well as David Deal as well. So, um, hey, let's get aboard. 877-337-6666. Obviously, everything. Knicks. Who do you want in the Knicks uniform next year? Um, are the Giants going to win? Is Daniel Jones progressing? When are the Jets going to fire Adam Gase? I got that question on on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, And Steve Cohen and his introductory press conference will break it all down right after the break. This, this is my guy. This is DJ Hardwell, everybody. Wake up. All right, let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Steve in Manhattan, you're on the fan. All right, Danielle, I'll just let you know that four ladies in white tuxedos are going to come into the studio and they're going to take the electronic recording of your interview with Lori and Maggie and you and escort it right to the Talk Radio Hall of Fame. Really? So everybody in the audience, yes, that was a great interview. Wow. A- excellent interview. And um, how'd you get Lori to get up this early in the morning? She's going to be groggy in her show. No, no, we're all good. We're all good. I know. Well, thank I you for kind that. Of figure. But the thing is, uh, <clears throat> I always included girls in sports. I always thought some of them were some of the greatest athletes I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I could tell you... Uh, there was a show one time about guys, the great basketball players from New York City. At one time, there was a lot of guys. I played, you know, in the streets and court schoolyard since I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. I called them up. I said, you forgot something. He goes, well, what did we forget? I said, you forgot the girls. The girls would come in and play <laughs> in the schoolyards. Basketball. Some of them were tremendous athletes and great basketball players. He goes, you know, you're right. You're right. I lived in, you know, I lived in the city my whole life. And the, and the thing is, like with Lori, I've listened to her so many years. I've always said, I said it to her, I believe she could be a general manager for any sports team. You know, these things, and maybe you could be the coach of the Mets and Yankees one time, <laughs> but I really believe we know it's a tight-knit group that moves along in professional sports. But I believe if you really are determined, like Kim is, you could easily crack it. It's not only discrimination, it's not only with women today. A lot of guys today in my generation and guys before me, were discriminated against for jobs and stuff like that because they have a thing called race quotas. They disguise it with a fancy name to call affirmative action. Mm-hmm. So we know how you girls feel. But I say, if you're determined, you can go out there and you can do it. Thanks for that. And, yes, I was that girl on the team. You know, I was thinking about this story. I, I don't know if I was going to tell this story. But since you sort of kind of brought it up, Steve, um, there was a time I played um, – baseball with the boys this is everybody knows this I played baseball with the boys up until they made me switch freshman year of high school they made me switch to softball but anyway um I played you know little league baseball right but in my town we had little league and we had minor league and I tried out for the team and I um I was so set I was so set that I made major major little league the minors was for losers and I got the call and I made, and this is, how ironic is this actually? I just realized I actually made the minor league Marlins team. Marlins, right? I made the minor league Marlins team and I was very upset. And over the course of what, two, three years you play on Little League, I was the only kid not called up to play in major Little League. And um, I was the only one. 
everybody else got to fill in for so-and-so who went on vacation during spring break or whatever. But I was the only one that didn't get a chance to play on that major league. I was a pitcher. I was a shortstop. I played first base. And I was the only one. I was named to the all-star team every year. I, I got named to the all-star team every year. We got to play on the big field. Okay, that was the only three times I got to play on the big field. And I say this because I was better than the boys at that tryout. There was no doubt. No doubt. Every year I tried out for the major league team, by the way, and I never made it. And I was better than the boys. I was. Factual. Facts. And you know how I know? Roundabout, you know, it was tough. It was tough. And you know how I know? When I switched to softball, I went to the tryout Saturday morning, 7 a.m. tryout um, with the varsity team. No, with the freshman team, actually. It was first. And they were like, no, you're going to stay for the varsity tryout. So I did. I made varsity as a freshman. Never looked back. Um, Starting shortstop freshman year. And the rest is history. So that's just uh, affirmation, I guess the word is, that I I deserve to be there. And I deserved to be on that Major League Marlins team. But I wasn't. And that wasn't long ago. That was, uh, I think, what are you, middle school when you play Little League? Sixth grade, seventh grade? That was what? 2000, the year 2000, 2001, two. Yeah, not that long ago. So that was the story. That was my story about, ironically, the Marlins and me, actually. Funny. James Monroe, you're on the fan. Yes, good morning. How are you this morning? I'm good, James. How are you? I'm doing fine. I um, just wanted to talk a little bit about the Giants. I'm not even a Giant fan, actually. <laughs> but um, I honestly believe that a lot of people are going to be surprised. But I have a feeling that their quarterback's going to do well today. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that he's going to start showing signs of being, you know, what they thought he would be. Right. A lot of people are down on him because he has he makes a lot of bad decisions. And a lot of it has to do with that, you know, he's young. It's and coachable. also the, the, re- the receiving core that he has mm-hmm. isn't really that good. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on him because, you know, being picked number two and stuff like that when they drafted him. But I tell you, I I really believe that today is the outcoming for him. Yeah, and this this is a good question. Is Daniel Jones progressing? What are the markers of progression in Daniel Jones? And I I am I'm with you. I agree. I mean, maybe he'll throw four interceptions today, and we'll have this talk again next week. But I just think that they found the combination with the offensive line, and and that when you don't have when you're not under siege all the time. You have the ability to do your checkdowns. I, I mean, I think Daniel Jones and what he's doing is coachable. What do you think? I think I think that you know the whole problem with him. Like I told you, it's just you know. First of all, when you when you're with New York, you know your expectations also are very high. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. the pressure of being on the Giants, so forth and so on, mm-hmm. and coming in and taking a guy's place like Manning. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more pressure on you. So you know you kind of looked at as maybe like a savior at the beginning. But I also believe that, you know, he's only a year in reality, a year and a little bit more into his his career. In so, two different know, offenses. In two really different offenses, under two head coaches, yes. That's another thing, too. Yep. You know? Yes. I think, yeah, and, and James, thanks for the call. I, I, I'm with you here. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Giants fans... And it's not your fault. I just think it's it's the like I mentioned with David Deal, it's it's the cultural thing of instant gratification. And when I brought up Patrick Mahomes, he was like, "Yeah, Patrick Mahomes even sat." And not to mention Patrick Mahomes, 
when he eventually took the reins, I mean, he had Pro Bowl talent around him, okay? The, the tight end in Kelsey, uh, he, was a, he was a Pro Bowl that year, I believe. Tyreek Hill was not, but he was as a punt returner or kick returner. He was a Pro Bowler in that sense. I mean, he's a good player. I mean, their running back was Kareem Hunt, I believe it was at the time, was a Pro Bowl. So when you have Patrick Mahomes it just inputted right into that offense, I mean, that's that's the difference. Patrick Mahomes looked a lot better than Daniel Jones looks right now. I think the Giants are turning the corner. I really do. I think I think they're turning the corner. I think what I'd like to see out of Daniel Jones is more consistency. He's coming off a, a, a good, not a great game, but a good game. Because in Washington, or versus Washington, he had his highest completion percentage this season, which was, you know, 67.6. It's all right. He had one touchdown. But most importantly, for the second time this season, zero interceptions. But he did cough up the ball twice, but neither of them were lost fumbles, though. So that's not terrible. I think, and and the question is, what would you like to see from Daniel Jones as an indicator of progression? Consistency is number one. My biggest takeaway from Daniel Jones' play in week nine and hopefully it's something that the Giants can build upon, the maturity in that last offensive drive. Daniel Jones ate the ball and took a four-yard sack on second and 17. No strip sacks, no last ditch winging the ball into the defender's hands. The very next play, third and 21, Jones stepped up and away from the blitz to make a 12-yard completion. Now, why is that important? Because that set up a 42-yard field goal. Sack takes him out of field goal range. And in completion, a 54-yard field goal. It's possible, right? But I always go back to this as a coaching background myself. Mental. What's mental and what's physical? They both could be fixed. The mental improvement by Daniel Jones in that game, in that one blip of a game, Right? Remember, like we just said, he's in a new offense this season. It's something to watch moving forward. I would like to see how he would mature over the next couple games. Because the mental mistakes, if they get cleaned up, you have a newfound confidence behind an offensive line, which is based on this rotation schedule. I mean, how many seven of them got snaps last week versus Washington? You're building up confidence behind your line. The line has always got a fresh pair of legs, right? Fresh. They're fresh. I think that that's going to work wonders for him. Golden Tate, he's got his drama figured out. He'll be back. Evan Ingram seems to. I think that look was a look of uh, I'm here to stay on the sideline. When, when After he caught that touchdown pass in Washington, I think he, that was a look of I'm here to stay. And I'm going to make this work. That's what I think. Anyway, the cameras caught him. On, uh, sitting on the bench, stewing, <laughs> maybe would be a, a word to describe what he looked like. If, if you saw it, you saw it. I think I tweeted it, actually. I took a picture of my TV screen. Um, but we haven't really talked about the defense either. Takeaways for Washington, guess what? The defense forced five turnovers. They forced five turnovers. Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, Blake Martinez. Oh, wait, before I go on. 
Those are all Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge signings, you guys. Free agent signings. Logan Ryan, Jabril Peppers, Blake Martinez, each recorded an interception in the Washington quarterback, versus Washington quarterback, right? Alex Smith. Which, by the way, Alex Smith, what a story, right? What a story. Did you guys watch that documentary? I, I feel like I should get an Alex Smith jersey. Right? Don't you think? I mean, he was going from losing his leg, possibly losing his life. And he's back on the field. And by the way, I, I knew I said it when, it when I when I knew it was wrong when I said it. Jabril Peppers, I just looked it up just to be sure. Jabril Peppers came in trade, not free agency, by the way. But Logan Ryan was a free agent. Blake Martinez was a free agent. Peppers in that game too, and and Harper one fumble recovery each. Leonard Williams, who we've mentioned a little bit tonight, fifth sack of the season. I was like thinking, like, okay, that's kind of like a lot for him, right? So I look back. With plenty of football left to play this season. Leonard Williams' highest career sack total was on the 2016 Jets team. Like that big, remember that that offensive front the Jets had, right? So he had seven. He had seven sacks that year. That year he was a pro bowler. And I know Giants fans, your heads might be exploding right now. But that year, Leonard Williams, with seven sacks, was a pro bowler because he was the first alternate to replace Khalil Mack. Okay, so he got in roundabout, but he got in. He's got five sacks this season, and we are entering week 10. So as bad as the Leonard Williams deal looked, how is it looking now? And, of course, the the, the, the rushing attack, season high, 166 yards. Uh, Fre- uh, Freddie Freeman, <laughs> Devontae Freeman will be – uh, he was placed on IL, so he won't be in the game. So it's going to be a combination of Gallman and Morris, which just seems to be working behind that offensive line. And I always look for this. How many points... Okay, you could take the ball away five times, but how many points do you score off those turnovers? That's important to me. And the first 10 points of the game that the Giants scored were the points off turnovers. That's a good indication of the direction in which this football team is moving. Austin Mack also emerged week nine. He had the highest pro football focus grade on the team. He got a 76.3 overall. He had four, you know, who is Austin Mack? Undrafted rookie receiver, four receptions, 72 yards. Excuse me. And it was the Giants' longest completion of the season. 50 yards was one of them. Blake Martinez, stud. Blake Martinez is a stud. If I were to buy a Giants jersey, which I might, Blake Martinez would be the one I would get. And the offensive line is coming off one of the best performances of their season so far. Matt Parrott was actually the the best of the group. And you heard David Deal talking about the the, the potential of a swing guy. And and they've got three rookie linemen on that line. So I'm trying to paint this picture. It's, It's very rosy. I get it. I think the Giants win. I think the Giants beat the Eagles 24-21. Here's Mike McCann with an up. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Wake it up. 
If you're just waking up, oh, we have the, the, the drop thing back here. Is the sun out yet? Probably not. It's still probably dark outside. But if you're just waking up, just tuning in, you missed a lot tonight. I'll be honest with you. You missed a lot. I had on that uh, 320 David Deal, New York Giants, two-time Super Bowl winning New York Giant. And just just a short while ago at, at 420, I had this idea the other night. I just I, I had this idea and, and just went for it. And I'm lucky to to say that both Maggie and Lori went for it as well. And we just had a nice segment at 420 if you wanted to use the, the rewind feature. That's why I tell you this. If you want to use the rewind feature and go back, listen to it. We reacted to the, the, the Kimming hiring, which is historic uh, on, on many levels for not just the Marlins, not just baseball, but for sports in general. I think it's about time. I mean, 30-plus years in Major League Baseball, you interview with many jobs and you don't get them. I just think that's kind of crazy. So the impact, you know, one of the questions I had asked was, what does this mean for the future of professional sports? The future is bright. I think sports are going to be better because of it. Every, every it, To have a different perspective in the room, and that's why I had them on. This is a different perspective, and we have great hosts here on The Fan. Great hosts. All-time, award-winning, we get it. We know it. But there's only three of us here, and, and that can give that perspective. And also, I was asked about Kim Jones. Why didn't I include Kim Jones? Kim Jones, I would have loved to include. Kim Jones was my first guest ever on the phone on on one of my shows, ever. And, you know, she's preparing for week 10 of NFL action, so I didn't want to bother her, in other words. There's plenty of time. Kim Jones, there's plenty of time to have Kim Jones on the show, but that's why. So, all right. All right, 877-337-6666. Mike in West Palm Beach. Mike, how are you this week? Well, I got a muffin in my mouth. I'm sorry, Danielle. <laughs> what kind? Not enough coffee. <laughs> Danielle, always, uh, always great uh, chatting with you on a Sunday morning. And I'll tell you. Likewise. I was saying, I was saying to Pat, another a good uh, producer, um, I caught the last five minutes of the interview with Lori. And, um, oh, excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, groundbreaking with the uh, announcement of the GM for the Marlins. Yeah. You know? And, you know, Kim Jones, I enjoyed. And look what she's done on her resume. You know, um, and then, you know, you, uh, you bring such, a, uh, such a, a good vibe to your show. You give everybody a fair shake. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to hear I was laughing. You know, when you were younger, you were pitching shortstop and you're trying to break, uh, break the mold. And I, I give a lot of credit to anyone who does that. My daughter, I mentioned, she's 30 now. She excuse me, Mary teaches. She plays some uh, fast pitch softball. And um, this is just uh, a great, a great uh, subject that uh, it's, it's groundbreaking in many ways. Uh, and I give credit to Derek Jeter, yes. Donnie Baseball, yes. for what they've done. And it's going to open up the doors to, uh, to other ladies, other, other ladies who want to make uh, uh, an impact in sports, you know? Yep. So it's, it's good stuff all the way around. And, um, I was going to talk a little about the Masters, and I will. Um, <laughs> love it. It's kind of weird watching the Masters in November, but um, Tiger Woods, I'm a fan of his. You know, he, he's got a lot of catching up to do. Johnson is just uh, going to run away with it, I think. Yeah, that's but what you I'm never saying. Know. Yeah, you never know. 
And you know what they say, Danielle? Yeah. I played some ball back in the day. Mm-hmm. Told you a couple of stories. Mm-hmm. Um, old ball players don't die. They just go on and they play a little golf. So uh, <laughs> all the best, Danielle. Always a pleasure. Tune it in. And like I said, you've got a good vibe on the radio. And what did I say? I'll say it again. You have serious mojo behind the microphone. <laughs> Mike, that's the sign-off every week. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. All Talk right, to you next Daniel. week. Thanks. All the best. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. Um, as far as my golf game, and I mentioned this a little bit before, um, I'm, I'm like going down memory lane so much today, but basically golf for me, I avoid mini golf. One time, the last time I went mini golfing, we were kids. My dad took me and my brother mini golfing in Closter. If anybody's from Bergen County, Closter, a little mini golf course there. And I, yeah, and it's no secret that I like to win. You know, I like to win. And so um, I hit my ball and it went into the, the, the fake blue water, right? And it, luckily the little fence, chicken wire fence thing caught my ball. And my brother was making fun of me. And he, younger brother was making fun of me, laughing at me. And I, well, now, I mean, I, I whacked him across the shins a little bit with a backhand on, on, the, on the, the pole, whatever, the, whatever, the putter. And, um, yeah, my dad, um, we left. <laughs> we were on, like, hole four, and we left. And so I haven't touched a mini golf course since then. And um, the driving range is always fun, and Top Golf makes it even more fun. I, I do like doing that, but I have like a baseball swing. I have like a Mike Trout swing where you like, you've seen that video where he like slices the ball in half and it flies into oblivion. That's always the goal for me, but I did make it the, the, the course, quote unquote course, the top golf in Las Vegas. I did hit one and it did hit the far right circle. I just want to be clear on that, everybody. But mini golf, I avoid it at all costs. So I also avoid bowling. I do need bumpers. Everything else I'm pretty good at. Frank in Valley Stream, you're on the fan, Frank. Hey, Danielle, you're making me laugh. I have I have three daughters, so <laughs> one of them one of them was a, a an all state second baseman for a very well known high school in New York. So mm-hmm. good, but she can't she, she can't play golf for the life of her, and she don't have the patience for it either. <laughs> me neither. I so don't I, either. We're similar. I, and she does the same thing. She hates to lose. And she didn't make it through the course. I mean, she just gets so aggravated that she can't do it. That's me too. She has no patience to try it. <laughs> yep. Maybe when we're older, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But yes, I yeah. am the same way. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, I, what I wanted to talk about was Daniel Jones. You, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a big, I'm a big Giant fan and I'm a big Eli fan. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, and, and people are comparing him to Eli. And this is what I'll say. I think this kid has all the potential to be a great quarterback. What I don't like is with Eli, when he started, he made all these mistakes too. But the one thing that he did do was he won the games in the clutch. Mm. When it came, and I remember when he first came up, they would say things like this when he finished the game. Why don't they do the two-minute two offense all the time for Eli? Let's do no huddle offense all the time. You know what? Look how good he is. Yeah, Frank, I mean, I'll, I'll so, let you finish that point, but I think that's a great idea, and I think you saw the Giants start to do that with Daniel Jones. I think it's just it, it eliminates, like, thought as a player. It just eliminates the thought process. It's like, okay, here it is. I'm going to execute it. Here it is. I'm going to execute it. There's no thinking involved, and I think that's a good thing. Right. And, and then what, what I, my point was is that the difference between the both of them is that, in my mind, this kid had, what, maybe five or six opportunities already 
to win a game in the clutch, and he hasn't won it. Mm. I mean, yeah. honestly, I mean, you think about it. True. What, he had he had a shot at every the Chicago game. He had a shot at the Philadelphia game. Mm-hmm. He had a shot. I'm just thinking of the games. Yeah. He had a, he had a bunch of shots. He had a shot at the uh, Tampa Bay game. I mean, all in games he had a shot at the end, and I would love to see him pull the game out. Yeah. You know, just to get that under his belt, and then and then I would have a little different opinion of him. You know, to me, he's that guy in the Dallas game. He went 19 plays on an offense and then threw the interception. Yes. Which what does it all mean at the end? Well, that was you know what I mean? yeah. Was that the one that the guy made the incredible diving catch? Was that that game? I'm trying to think back. Uh, I don't think that, it was. I, it was like at the goal line, wasn't it? It wasn't yeah, like a that, yeah. Yeah, it was a stupid play. Though. It was first down, and he had this team on a 19 play drive. Right. Yes. And he threw the interception. He kind of forced it into the guy. Yeah. And yes, the guy made a great interception, but yeah. he didn't have to throw it. Right. I mean, he, you know, was uh, it wasn't like the guy was wide open and the guy came from nowhere. He was right. trying to force it a little bit, yep. and it was on the first down play to boot. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it was it was you know that that's my point. My point is is that 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 whole that nineteen play series in the Dallas game kind of sums up what I kind of think of Daniel Jones. For nineteen plays, he was great, but then he made that one play, and then that kind of you know. For 19, it was just a waste of time. I mean, you know, it's just nothing's got, you know, the, the tires are spinning, but we're in the snow. I mean, nothing's happening. So yeah. that, that, that's, that's my problem right now with Daniel Jones because Eli used to pull them games out. And, that, and when you do a comparison with the numbers, you don't look at how many games in the beginning Eli pulled out, like come, come from behind wins at the end of the game. The one thing, Frank, the one thing I'll say, though, you have to look at who's catching the passes. Eli yeah. Manning had... First round pick, Ike Hilliard with him in that first year, I believe. The sec he had a second round pick in Amani Tumor. He had a first round tight end, Jeremy Shockey. And then offensive line he went on to win two Super Bowls with. So and when you look at what Daniel Jones has, he's got a Darius Slayton's great. He's a fifth round pick. You know, it's it's just not CJ Board was catching passes for him, undrafted. I mean, it's just you know, that that's the, the one marker of delineation that I would make between Eli Manning and Daniel Jones. But, yes, I do agree with you. He has to start to finish these games. And, and hopefully, I mean, it'll start tomorrow, hopefully. I agree with you. This team, the Philadelphia Eagles, when I, as a Giants fan, when I see this team, it, it makes me sick because they beat us so many times. <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah. Washington beat all the time. Dallas, we're probably a 500 team against. But Philadelphia owns us, yeah. and it would be a big it would be a big win for us to beat Philadelphia. I will. I just heard somebody say you said on the radio they're four and seventeen in their last twenty one games against Philadelphia in a ten game losing streak. So I mean, you know, let's yeah. <laughs> this is a bit you know, and and Philly's getting a lot of guys back. This is a this is a tough spot. If he, they could win here, this would be great. Yeah, and they'd be. Uh, and, and thanks for the call, Frank. I appreciate it. Good call. Um, and the, and the, I almost said the Yankees and the Giants. Believe it or not would have a shot at the NFC East. And as you know, look at the Giants in 2007. Me and my dad, as I told David Deal, we were in the stadium. We were in the, the, the line of fire of, of the Tampa Bay Bucks ship when it went off in the stands all the way up in the nosebleed seats. Uh, I'll give him a plug. With, with uh, It was a great trip, actually, with uh, Big Blue Travel we went with. So um, anything can happen once you get into the playoffs. Anything. Wildcard teams have won the Super Bowl before, and the New York football giants have done it in 2007. Well, technically, eight was the Super Bowl, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as Daniel Jones as an indicator of progression, I, I'm, you know what? 
this is just, again, I'm going to go back to this too. It is because this is such a huge deal that everybody who kills Daniel Jones doesn't think outside the box. They look at numbers and they don't think like, wow, first of all, as, as Frank was just saying, first of all, you know, he's taking over. It's like taking over for Derek Jeter. You're taking over for Eli Manning, who was a quarterback for forever for, since I was in middle school with the, with the New York Giants. Okay. That's the first thing. You're the quarterback of the Giants, the whole history, the whole tradition, right? Okay. Once you get over that, I mean, you got a, you're a brand new head coach and everything else in in your second system in two seasons. You're learning everything all over again. You know, it's tough, and it's growing pains. And the Mets, well, the Mets are in the driver's seat for free agency and beyond. And were you ready to run through a brick wall after watching Steve Cohen's press conference? Because I know a few Mets were. More of your calls after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Hey there, it's your buddies Evan Robertson, Craig Carton. Hope you're having a great weekend. We are too. Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock. We're locked and loaded for you. We got a lot to talk about. The Giants and the Eagles played a massive NFC Eastern Division game. And the Jets didn't lose. Have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday at 2. More than you know. Welcome back, everybody. 5.20 in the morning. Time's uh, ticking away if you get aboard, 877-337-6666. I'm with you till 6 a.m. I am Daniel McCartan. And Bob Salter uh, comes on at 6. Oh, yeah, at 6. Got Pat Boyle behind the glass. He's uh, waiting for you to give me a call. I've got, what does it look, three open lines. They have your name all over them, everybody. Listen, we've got everything going on tonight. We've got, oh my, I can't even, I can't even begin to uncover what we've been talking about tonight. We've talked about Kim Ng. Um, I'll try. We talked about which player would you like to see wearing a Knicks jersey next year? Would you want Russell Westbrook? Would you want Chris Paul, Victor Oladipo, or my choice, Fred Van Vliet, if I had to choose? Honestly, looking at the free agent class of next year, and you have two, if you're the Knicks, you have two first-round draft picks. I'm kind of standing pat. I do not want to make the play. Okay, I know the Knicks have missed the playoffs for seven years in a row. Eight won't kill you. Got my prediction in for the Giants game. I think the Giants beat the Eagles. Uh, I used the word eek uh, the other day, and it, it worked for me. So the Giants are going to eek out a victory versus the Eagles 24-21. And, uh, and Mets. Oh, my God. And, and Steve Cohen is introduced as the next owner of the Mets. Sandy Alderson as the team president. Noah Syndergaard posted a gif of him of, of, a, of a man running through a brick wall. Marcus Stroman cited that press conference as the reason why he picked up his, uh, he, he did not decline the option, why he's back in pinstripes. And just uh, so you guys know, I was uh, on the break there. I posted up on Twitter at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N and also on Facebook if you're not a Twitter person. Um, it's Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I put up the uh, Next Gen Stats um to dispel the rumors that Daniel Jones's deep ball needs work because it almost knocked me out of my chair the other yesterday when I figured it out when I or when I stumbled upon it but when you look at the left the middle and the right side of the field Daniel Jones is well above league average in throws that are greater than 20 yards that's incredible people don't realize it and people see that's the thing people just love to go with the narrative pat and and I 
do and I examine the narrative and then I put my own little spin on it. And that's how I do it. And and right here, Daniel Jones can't throw the deep ball. How many times have you heard that? But when you actually look at it, it's right there in front of you. Yeah, well, a lot of people also, you know, they watch one game or they watch one highlight package where it was the game against Tampa Bay where he did miss, a, you know, a couple of couple of guys that were open down the field and they, they assume that that's the story for everything. You know, they don't watch most of most of the games where he's hit a lot of deep balls this year. He's made some, I mean, the, the, the pass to tie the game or to, you know, give them the chance to, with a two-point conversion to tie the game. That was a, a dime, no pun intended. <laughs> but, I mean, it's easy for people to, to see, you know, two or three times over yeah. and over on a highlight and say, oh, he can't do this, he can't throw a deep ball. Yeah. Or read the headlines and stuff. And I always go back to, no matter what it is, I always go back to the original source. No matter what it is, whatever topic it is, I like to make my own opinions. And here we are, dispelling rumors of Daniel Jones' deep ball needing work. I mean, everywhere else is red pretty much on the chart. But the deep ball and the mid-range over the middle, they're green. Hate to tell you that, guys. Eric, Ron Konkama. What's up this week, Eric? How are you? Hey, Daniel. Good morning. Uh, the, the brick wall reference. Yes. Okay, with Steve Cohen. I have a question for you. Have you ever seen Police Academy? No, I have not. You've not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> if you ever get a chance, okay. to, to just you know, you, YouTube the scene or whatever. There's a scene when well, you know they're they're doing the the drill, the exercise drills in the in the uh, to, uh, in the academy. Mm-hmm. Bubba Smith comes up, and instead of jumping over the brick wall, so to speak, he knocked the whole thing over <laughs> on there. You know, it's, it's kind of funny when you watch the sequence. That's how I felt watching that press conference with Steve Cohen. I mean, Wait. it was, you know, I, I watched the whole thing, you know, him and then Alderson, and then Alderson was on for a little bit afterwards yeah. with the SNY group and everything. I mean, I just, there, there wasn't anything about that press conference that I, you know, could pick apart. I mean, it was just, it, it was, it was, I wouldn't say inspiring, but I mean, but it definitely got you excited. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, to, you know, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you're right. Definitely. I, I think some people earlier in the night called and they said uh, they didn't like the three to five year World Series championship window. That's, I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't I either. To, you know, because you know what? It, it, it's it, it's setting a goal, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's unrealistic three to five. You know, if he if he's saying next year, you know, that, that, that could be overstepping it a bit because, you know, even though they have, you know, they, they do have talent on the team. One year really puts you back against the wall. Mm-hmm. Three to five gives you a cushion, and and he was very clear in saying that if he doesn't achieve that, he's going to be supremely disappointed. So I mean, you know, he already laid out you know his feelings not getting to that point. Correct. So, um, but now here's it. Now, look, I, I heard a number of callers yesterday. I tried to get through to whoever the host was at the time. You know, there, there were a couple people you know saying they were Yankee fans that were saying they're terrified of the thought of Cohen being, you know, the owner because, you know, they, they were just going to spend like crazy. Now, obviously I'm thinking they didn't even watch the press conference. But right. He, again, was very clear about saying he's not going to spend like a drunken sailor. Exactly. That was you the know, quote. You it, nailed it. it. I had it. I was waiting right. for you. I nailed Yep. That was it. Yes. Yep. And, and he, now he made it very clear if there's a, someone that, you know, uh, fits the part of what they need, they'll certainly be, you know, make a run for them, but they're not just going to go and you know hire a an all star for every position. That's that, that's that's what he very clear what he said. So yep. I, I was very happy about that too. He he said 
very specifically, the championships are not bought, they're built. Exactly. You, so, you took, did you take notes, Ernest? Because I took the same notes. No, Good for I, you. I, I, th- <laughs> I, was, I was invested. I told you. I mean, yeah. that's why, you know, I, I watched every bit of it, and, and I was, again, excited on that because you could, you could feel from him the fandom part of it. And and it just it just made you you know made you happy and and at the same time knowing that you have to have the right people under you, um, you know to uh, to you know run the team. Yes. Now I've been hearing you know maybe you could elaborate on this. I've been hearing that, uh, that there might be somebody from the Oakland organization that um, uh, is in the running for a GM position. Have you heard anything on that? Uh, it's probably out there. Um, I did not. I'll be honest. I, I don't recall not. the name, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't recall the name, unfortunately. But I know it came up. Uh, uh, I think during Steve Summers' show during the middle of the week. Uh-huh. And uh, oh, was it Billy Bean? That can't uh, be. What? No way. Right? No, 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 no. It was it, no. It was someone from Player Personnel. Okay. Uh, on there, but I, I, I don't recall the name, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, you know, I mean, just just again, you know, the idea of you know trying to uh, get the people. Uh, in place because I'm sure you know I'm sure they want to do that before they start making any moves. I don't right. know if, if right. Sandy's planning on doing that himself, but but anyway, I just wanted to wanted to you know uh, you know say I really I watched that whole thing and and uh, uh, definitely definitely the I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at this. You know when when he spoke, like I said, I got excited on it because the difference when when uh, the you know, either Fred or Jeff, mainly Jeff in the last number of years, mm-hmm. made a comment about, you know, what they were going to do for the following season. The last number of years, I just didn't believe them because they'd say it and then it wouldn't happen. You know, I'm going to take Steve Cohen at his word for now because, you know, it, it's a change. Right. And, and until I see something differently to make me kind of back off a little bit, you know, I, I have the optimism. Yeah. So uh, I'll leave it at that. You, you enjoy the rest of your weekend there, Danielle. Thanks. I appreciate it, Eric. You too. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's the feeling among all Mets fans. And last week we talked very briefly, briefly, very preliminarily about some Mets GM candidates. Um, and, and anybody can pick out a name from anywhere. I mean, it's, you know, once the Mets whittle down their list, it'll be easier to hone in on strengths and weaknesses of, of, of some potential candidates, but mine, um, I, the, the two I gave and one probably is an obvious choice because he interviewed for it last time around, or he turned it down. He was offered it and he turned it down was Mike Chernoff. The other one I would put forth and I can't believe I'd say this. And I think you guys all know how I stand on, on the Astros thing, but you know, if players are going to get away scot-free basically, and, uh, Cora's got his same job back, and A.J. Hinch has got a new job, a new project to work on. I think Jeff Lunau is an excellent choice. And I know it. I know you might be groaning. I know me too. I can't believe I just said that. But when you look at all his pluses, they, they really, really outweigh the con of that. I know. I know. I know. But very preliminarily, that's who I'd be looking at. Let's go to right in the order you guys call. Rick in Manhattan, you're on the fan. Hi, Dan, Danielle. I'm, well, I want to talk first about just what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Cohn mentioned in the press conference, he seemed to emphasize integrity. Yes. And I, I thought that would kind of uh, implicate um, Jeff Luna. I know, I but know. But second of all, I know. Uh, on the Carton show, 
he's kind of brought up the um, structure, who is making decisions, and Sandy seemed to be, uh, say, he just, he didn't answer it. He just said it's a very interesting uh, idea, and that everybody's going to collaborate. Now, I, I think what Carton was saying was there was an extra layer of uh, trying to come to a, a decision, well, particularly now, because didn't they uh, already um, select a, a person who's in charge of the baseball operations? Um, my understanding, no, I, right now I believe it's Sandy Alderson. He's acting as team president, too. I, but what, I remember the quote, Sandy Alderson had said he doesn't want he wants a seat at the table, is what he said, but he doesn't want to be the head of the table, which I think is fair because you don't know who's going to be slotted where just yet. And I think because I think that if they made a if if he had made a commitment to that, you know, in that press conference, one way or another, I think it would narrow down the talent pool. If that makes sense, they would they would ex, ex exclude maybe somebody that would be a good fit just because of that line of thinking. So I think they're being open minded. That's all. Um, well, but somewhere on the uh, station, I remember hearing that they did something about the director of the baseball operations, and I I was unclear about how that was going to implicate uh, Jeff Lunau and uh, Sandy's statement. You don't know. Um, is there anything that's been brought up that... Um, did they select somebody for director of baseball operations? Uh, under my best knowledge is, is no. I just checked with Pat, and he thinks no. We're, we're Googling it, but not that I came across it. I saw. Well, no, what, no, I don't think. Um, okay. But does that position oversee the general manager, or is it just the farm team and things like that? I'm not clear on, on the specifics of it. I would... Because oh, okay. like, I think of like, the, I, I just, the Jets flashed into my mind too. They do it d differently. I don't know if it's on a team by team basis on how they would do it based on who their personnel is. Because the Jets do do it differently. You have the GM and the coach both reporting to not each other, but to the owner. So okay. I'm not exactly sure. I would need to ask for clarification on that for sure. Okay. For All right. Thanks a lot for talking to me. All right. Thanks, Rick. Thanks for picking up the phone. I've got Rick's answer if you want it. Well, I mean, as much, I, yeah, there hasn't been much, but. Um, basically, uh, Andy, Andy Martino noted that Terry Collins probably won't remain in the front office mix. Uh, Luis Rojas, again, they haven't made the decision on him as manager. Uh, Andy Cohen will become vice chairman of the team. Uh, John Rico remains a member of the front office. And Tommy Tanus, who ran the draft under Alderson, is expected to once again take the reins over amateur scouting and the draft. Yeah, so it's... So basically nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so basically nothing. I didn't think so. And what is this? Michael Hill was uh, interviewed. He, oh, that's my. That's probably what it was that he was talking about. Michael Hill was interviewed to become the president of baseball operations, but he wasn't. No one has been chosen just yet. Maybe that's what it was. It's got to be. He interviewed with the Mets president, Sandy Ellerson, last weekend. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, that's... Probably he was referring to. Yeah, probably. All right, we got that cleared up. Um, but as far as Luis Rojas, and if you guys want to get aboard, 877-337-6666. This is Pat, probably the last chance, right, to pick up the phone and call. Yep, he's shaking his head yes. So get aboard. I got a couple open lines for you. Um, as far as Luis Rojas, 
I mean, I talked about it last week a little bit, but with so much change going on, for ownership, front office, GM, you know, so much. Those are monumental changes for an organization, starting at, at the word owner, right? I think that Luis Rojas is safe at least a year. And, and we, I talked about this weeks and weeks ago as well. I just think that there is too much turnover at this point in time that Luis Rojas would be some sort of stability for the team. And he would provide some sort of stability for the team. He's he's well liked. Uh, is the narrative that's being written at, uh, in the in the uh, clubhouse? He's well liked. Off the top of my head, I really can't think of a game that he himself lost for the team. I mean, he's better than Mickey Callaway, who don't forget marched the team out there batting out of order. And and, and here's another funny story. Right after that happened, right after they bat the Mets batted out of order that game. Had to be, what, April or May, maybe even? We were playing against, um, my team was playing against another rival team. My softball team that I coached was playing against a rival team in North Jersey, and they batted out of order the very next day. And I caught it, and I was susceptible to catching it because of what had happened with Mickey Callaway and the Mets. So uh, there you go. We lost, by the way, that game on a one-run or solo home run to left field, over the fence. Yeah, heartbreaking, right? One bad pitch. Poor kid, Jenna Pitcher. She was, she was pretty good. Anyway, more of your calls after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan with you here on The Fan. Hey girl, you know I've done all I can. What's going on? It's the Moose coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. It's Moose and Maggie right here on The Fan reacting to Giants and Eagles' biggest game of the season for Big Blue, Maggie. Yep, Carl Banks will join us as well. Hope to see you at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 1019 FM and Radio.com. I'm easy like Sunday morning. That is the Pat Boyle special, that song. That means this is your last chance to get aboard on this Week 10 Football Sunday morning here on The Fan. I'm Daniel McCartan with you until 6 a.m. when Bob Salter will come your way. I, I, you know, I'm on the commercial, I'm just sitting here scrolling through Twitter and there's so many tweets coming in. I'm just trying to keep on top of all of them. But um, I'm spamming you, Lori and Maggie, because there is so much good feedback coming in from um, the segment we did together. So you're going to wake up with a lot of Twitter notifications and they're all going to be from me. Sorry, but not sorry, because I need you guys to see it as well. Um, we are we are a team here. We are a WFAN team, and we are a little section of that team. And and we should all see the good feedback coming in, not just not just me on my Twitter feed. So I'm gonna, I'm posting it to yours too. So great stuff. If you guys missed it, um, I had uh, and I'll mention it again, but I had some some good stuff tonight, better than normal, I would say, <laughs> on my own assessment of myself here. Um, just being facetious. But if you wanted to go back on the radio.com. Rewind feature. We've got, uh, or I had David Deal at at three twenty in the morning, and then that epic segment with me, Lori, and Maggie reacting to the Kimming historic news. That was at four twenty. So last chance for you guys to get aboard eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. My papers are all over the place, so literally we're talking about anything you want to talk about, basically. Uh, so give me a call. Let's go with Sparky. You're up first in Dobbs Ferry. Well, Coach, how you doing? I'm good, Sparky. How are you? Well, first of all, I'm going to add to the interview, because let's face it, the three of you together, that was fabulous. Loved it? You loved it? Thank you. Oh, gosh. Are you kidding? Because the one thing, 
to do what you guys do and come up with it so few people, that must be so difficult. What? To do what? To come up where, you know, where it's just three women on the station and you all do such a tremendous job. Oh, well, yeah. Everybody does a tremendous job here, for sure. Oh, you kidding? You got <laughs> That's the hardest thing because you know what? You're so good that you should have your own show, but you have so many good people working there. Yes. Yeah. And oh, and I like the fact you brought up Susan Waldman. Yep. Because you know one thing, to me, listening to her and John Sterling, mm-hmm. they do the most important thing a broadcast team can do. They remind people that the game's supposed to be fun. Yep. And, Agreed. Um, and as far. As the Giants, you know, their situation is every system is not perfect. Mm-hmm. And this is one year where an aberration can happen. And as Bill Parcells always said, it's, you know, just get in the tournament. I mean, and I can give you a baseball example of that. In mean, coach, in 1973, the Mets won only 82 games. They won the division. Yet they took the Oakland A's to the seventh game of the World Series. See that? See that? Just got to get in the dance, and then you never That's know. It. I mean, not any in coach, anything can happen. You know, as a coach, if you're in a tournament, anything, you know. Now, my last thing. Yeah. I hope you know the Yankees really get quick with Lemay. Because, I know. You know what? I know. Because you know something. Every day that goes by. It's like they're gonna lose this guy, and don't kid yourself. I could see him ending up in City Field. Guess what? I, I played that. I was. I, I feel like Sparky. I was one of the first to say that on Halloween night. I played the the Halloween movie theme song. You know, do, 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 do. Okay. I said, I said, yep. how scary for Yankees fans would it be? This is my opening monologue. How scary for Yankees fans would it be if DJ LeMahieu ends up with the Mets next season? And I, you know, yes, too, coach, it's possible. Well, that sends a really bad message to other potential free agents, you know, as far as going to the Yanks, because not for nothing, that guy's done everything right in every manner, and players got to be thinking, if this guy, if they can't take care of a guy like this, why should I want to go there? That's a good point. Yeah. And, and the longer they wait, Sparky, and thanks for the call, the longer the Yankees wait, the more worried Yankees fans get. I will admit I am worried. I think uh, I think it needs to be done yesterday. I think it needed to be done when they got off the plane from San Diego. But who who am I, right? Bob in Syosset, New York. You're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? I'm good, Bob. How are you? Good, good. Uh, congratulations for Kim Ng, and because uh, I know my my daughter would be thrilled. I meant to text her last night, and I fell asleep, so I forgot. <laughs> so I can't wait for her reaction, but I'm sure she'll be really happy about yeah. that. So. Yep. Uh, I know she would, knowing her. Uh, but anyway, as far as uh, yeah, as far as Lemayo, the Yankees could sign Didi and let Lemayo go and put Torres at second with trade Torres. But anyway, wait, I want wait. to talk about Dominic Smith. Bob, and wait Pete one Alonso. second. Bob, I had that. I, I didn't get a chance to talk about it tonight. I I I hope that the Yankees signed Didi Gregorius. I I'm I'm for it. I'm so for it. He was a great Yankee, and he replaced Derek Jeter. He can handle it. He's a good player, yep. very good player. Yep, I am so for it. Go ahead. What's next? So that's another option. And then the, the major option for me, uh, or the uh, major problem for the Mets, is maybe a good problem, maybe a bad problem, because I don't think they want to trade Alonzo or Dominic Smith. And they're both fan favorites, mm-hmm. and they're both first basemen, right. and neither one probably wants to be a DH. 
Do you think, or what would you do as a solution? And do you think they could force feed Dominic Smith to play left field and have Alonzo at first? Because I don't think they're really. I don't think I'd rather see. I'd rather see them in the field than as DHs. So what do you think they should do? Yeah, what do you think the Mets should do? Bob, thanks for the call there. Yeah, um, you're right. You nailed it on all on all fronts there. I think, you know, unfortunately. Robinson Cano is there, and, and he would clog up this. That's the other thing. Have we decided if we're going to have a DH in the, in the NL or not yet? I mean, come on already. I think all signs point to yes, but there has been no official word just yet on any of that. Um, and I'm, I'm talking real fast because we've we got to get these couple calls in here. But um, I think it's a great opportunity for a platoon. I, I, I've seen enough of Dom Smith in the outfield. I Honestly, I've seen enough of it. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be some sort of split time, uh, you know. And Robinson Cano might have to take a seat, I think. I don't know. Um, but honestly, I know I hate to say it. I would I would use Dom Smith as a trade chip. I would. And and I know Ariel Cohen, he tweets me all the time with these stats and you know, it's they're very even and maybe Dom Smith has the edge over Alonso in, in a lot of categories. I'd have to go back and look at the tweet, but um I don't know. I, I just don't know that I think the Mets uh, are in a in a really sticky situation with that. If they keep him, you're going to platoon him. If you don't keep him, I, I think you see Dom Smith in a package uh, somewhere else, playing somewhere else this upcoming season. John in Freehold, you're on the fan. Hey, good morning, Danielle. What's How are up, you today? I'm good. How are you, John? I'm all right. I could discuss some Russell, uh, Russell Westbrook uh, talk with you, if I may. Oh, yeah, Russell Westbrook. You want him or you don't? I do not want him. Yeah, it no. absolutely positively no sense from a Nick perspective why they would, you know, jeopardize their franchise in that regard. Mm-hmm. I, I just can't believe that James Dolan wouldn't learn from the Carmelo Anthony experience mm-hmm. what a disaster that wound up being. And this can compound and make the Chris Bosch uh, Porzingis trade look even worse right. if they surrender young players and draft picks to bring Russell Westbrook in at 32 years of age with an absorbent contract, yep. with nagging injuries over the last couple of years. He's won nothing. He had elite talent in Oklahoma City, and he couldn't win there. What makes you think you would win here? And this is the fear that I had, Daniela, when they brought in Tom Thibodeau. Now you're hearing that Tom Thibodeau wants to win now. I he know. Better, makes he me wants sick. players to be brought in. Makes me sick. But can we please do it the right way and build it brick by brick, block by block yep. for the NBA draft? Yep. And actually draft good players that we could develop and, and build a foundation with and have sustained success? I'm so tired of this hamster wheel with the Knicks where they, they're impatient. And it's all about star power and quick fixes and getting guys that are past their prime and overpaying for them. Right now, you're in a great position. You've got a lot of draft picks. You've got some young players that you can develop. You've got salary cap space. And you can literally throw that all out the window in a few short days when the free agency period opens up and uh, Monday when you could uh, have the moratorium lifted for the trading uh, season. John, it just would have make absolutely positively no sense whatsoever. John, and every single Nick fan I've spoken to, yeah, feels the same way. Yep, let's do it the right way. Let's do it different this time. What's one more season of losing, John? I, I love love the passion there. Right on, you're right on with all of it. Every single thing you said. Why would the the Knicks choose to lock themselves up and hand, handcuff themselves over the next three season with this, like you called it, exorbitant contract for Russell Westbrook? There's Makes no sense to me. It's just stay far away. Stay far away from it. It's not like they're going to even be selling tickets. I mean, there are no, I don't think there's going to be any fans in the stands uh, for, for NBA for next season at all. Maybe at the end of the season. But it's not like it's like a, like a draw. 
You know, it's it's not like it's going to bring people to the garden. At least I, I don't think so. John, I think you're the final call of the night. John in Staten Island, you're on the fan. Hey, Daniel. Great hearing from you. I mean, um, definitely a joy to listen to. Uh, I'm an old school fan and uh, been listening to, since 1986 and uh, hard to pass up. So congratulations. Uh, you know, especially your football knowledge is unbelievable. Thanks. Even your sports stories is unbelievable. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Yeah, you know, I have a 20-year-old daughter, and uh, I went through the whole rig with her. So. But uh, yeah. big, big-time Met fan, so just curious on what you think they're going to do in the uh, free agency, if they're going to go after any or, you know, I'm psyched on Stevie calling it. I'm so sick of the Wilpon, so thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, and I think that's – did you watch the press conference? Did you love it? Uh, I was uh, – forget about it. My daughter will told me, uh, Dad, it's just a press conference. I know. I, I was so excited just hearing his passion. I and, know. Uh, you know, I'm like a 56-year-old fan. He's a little older than me, but uh, – you know, I go, I go every Sunday. My son is autistic, and uh, that's our thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, one thing I got to say, the Mets, they, the, uh, you know, the Sunday plan was unbelievable. They treat you well. So uh, hopefully all these people in the front, you know, when their ticket things and everything else stay. But, yeah, yeah. Well, well, John, let, let me answer your call. I, we got back time coming in about two minutes. But um, long story really short, my, my, my list for the Mets uh, free agency targets have changed. Um, I'd be happy if I were a Met fan with two of the four names I'm about to give you. Two would be probably realistic. I always like to keep things realistic. So first choice would be a catcher. First choice has to be a catcher. Um, Real Muto I like. James McCann I really like for the Yankees as well as a cheaper option if you didn't want to go the Real Muto route, who says he doesn't want to play in New York, but who knows if that's really the truth or just a way to drive up his price. I don't know. But for the Mets... You start a catcher. It's Real Muto or McCann. I would stay away from Molina um, just because he's got a lot of mileage on him, and, and we could talk about that um, at length probably next week. But one would be catcher. Two was Trevor Bauer, except now we've got uh, Marcus Stroman back in the roster. If you're if you're part of the Mets front office, you're happy to have Stroman back in, in, the, in the lineup. So that kind of flip-flop. So one catcher. Two now for me is a relief pitcher. Brad Hand would be, be my selection if I were the Mets. Uh, probably the best one on the market because the Mets could use some help in the back end of that bullpen. I would make him the closer. I would set Edwin Diaz as the uh, the eighth inning setup man. Takes a little pressure off of him. He, he's allowed to make a mistake here or there, and he doesn't have to be too perfect. Setup man Edwin Diaz, finisher Brad Hand. Third choice for me would be the Trevor Bauer. I mean. What about a rotation with all those guys? And finally, George Springer would be last. So thanks to all the callers. Could not have done it without you tonight. Love coming here, talking with you all. Thanks, a special thank you again to two-time Super Bowl champion David Deal for joining us at 320 if you want to go back on the rewind. And to that fire bomb segment with Lori Rubinson and Maggie Gray that was at 420. I give you the times just in case you missed it and you want to go back on the radio.com rewind feature. The app is free. Actually, while you're there, rewind to 2 a.m. and why don't you listen to the whole thing all over again. Great job to Pat Boyle behind the glass tonight. Busy busy guy Pat is. And to Mike McCann on the updates. You got Bob Salter coming up next at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Let's keep the conversation going this week. I will see you same time, same place next week. Sports Radio 101.9 FM. The 